Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, in case you didn't know. And on today's episode, we have my good buddy Alec, who's been on a few episodes in the past, and I brought him back on to discuss what is limited, and what is draft, and what is sealed. And then we also get on about some other various magic topics, as well as what's going on with life. You know, you just need to listen to it. It's pretty awesome. He's a pretty awesome dude. And before we get into things, I just need to make a few announcements. Magic Wazubi is featured on LegitMTG.com. I must tell you guys again, definitely check them out. They are a really cool website, have a lot of good content on there. Uh, they have a storefront with you know Magic Singles, Yu-Gi-Oh! Singles, Magic Seal product. Anything over $2 is free shipping and... That is a sort of deal that is almost too good to pass up because, as I've said before, I've gone to other sites where, you know, oh, I just need to buy like two, three dollars worth of cards and shipping is five bucks or three bucks. You're just like, get out of here. All right. I don't want to be paying that when the cards are only worth two, three dollars. You know, that two dollar free shipping is definitely worth it. Um, like I said before, definitely check out their site. They really cool content, really cool group of guys over there. Um, Magic Wazubi is also featured on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and Stitcher. And, you know, if, like I said, depending on what podcast app you prefer, you check them all out. You know, you're on an Android phone, get on Google Play or Stitcher. It's pretty awesome there. We're also on mtgcast.com, which is a very cool website that has a plethora of Magic the Gathering podcasts. There are a lot of good ones out there, and definitely check those out, too. There's a lot of cool people working on some really good content out there. You know, I always like plugging other people's shows, especially if it's, you know, a really good show, and I, and I notice that, you know, they're trying their hardest. Um, one such show is... If Lands Could Kill. They're definitely a magic podcast. Not for everyone because they, I guess they can be explicit. It, I mean, if that offends you or whatever, they can be quote unquote offensive. But, you know, to me, it's they're just a bunch of guys that are just having fun and talking and loving about magic. And they're just, they're a great group of guys. Um, you can also check out my other show. That I'm doing with my other compadre, whose name is Matt. We call ourselves the Super Matt Bros. And that is VCR Gaming. VCR standing for Vintage Classic Retro. Definitely check us out there. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We're not on TuneIn Radio yet, but we're working on it. We're just waiting for the approval. So as soon as it is, we will let you know. Um, VCR Gaming is definitely it's basically about video games and then matt and i we challenge each other to video game you know challenges and talk about uh, modern gaming and retro gaming all that sort of stuff you can find vcr gaming on twitter at vcr gaming and also on facebook.com slash vcr gaming you can find magic with Zuby on twitter at magic with Zuby, or you can find it on facebook facebook.com slash magic with Zuby. And you can also email me any questions or comments you may have at mtgzuby at gmail.com. You know, I'll, I appreciate any, any comments that are sent to me, and I love reading them and just 
really appreciate anyone who's listening. I think I may be up to five listeners now. That is a new record. It's awesome. So, anyways, enjoy the show here, guys. Hey, how's it going? Good, good, Zuby. How you doing tonight? Uh, I'm not doing too bad. Yeah, good, good. Feels like it's been a while since we've uh, had a chat. I'm glad I was able to come on and do that. Yeah, man. No, I appreciate you coming back. It's been, um, God, it's been fucking insane lately. <laughs> oh, I know it. <laughs> Don't I know it, man? I've been, I've been keeping track of your tweets and stuff. You've been, you've been working like an animal these past couple weeks. Oh, I know. It's been, um, it's been insane. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> no, so last week was what I considered my hell week. Um, I mean, it, it happens every so often where I've got to work, you know, 50, 60 hours and all that. But last week was 70 plus hours. Jeez. Yeah. And it was just, I mean, it's hard to complain because it's very few and far between that happens. So. Well, yeah, but I mean, even if it only happened once a year, it would still be, uh, a, like you said, a hell week for that one time a year. I mean, that's still just uh, that I can't even imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man. But it's over now. It's over now. Ugh, for now, I've I've got I've just got some news that oh, there's going to be plenty more coming this summer. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's good news because my company isn't dying, at least. It's growing. I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So it gives me plenty of work. Yeah. It's hard to be upset about that, that's for sure. Yeah, so I've heard you've got some good news. Actually, we both kind of got good news at the same time. You're now a homeowner now. I am. I am. Yeah, actually, that happened right about the same time you did, didn't it? Yeah, congrats, man. It's are you still in the same area or where you yeah, get? Yeah, well, I'm still the same town and everything. Uh, we've just mostly been renting our whole lives. And so this was uh, this was the first opportunity we had to own a home. It's it's a little bit bigger than the home we were in previously and a yeah. little bit, uh, a little bit, you know, something we can grow into a little bit more. And, and with having two kids, one of which is special needs, so she needs room for her equipment and everything like that. It yeah. just made a whole lot of sense. and. Uh, yeah, we're super happy with it. It's only about 10 minutes away from where we're living now, but it's great, man. I'm, I'm so excited. It, it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm winning at adulthood all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. It's strange. So have you guys not moved in yet or? No, we haven't quite. I mean, we closed on the house, uh, I guess it was about a week ago, two weeks ago. Um, but they're not rushing us to get out of the place that we're in right now. And my wife wanted to get some painting and stuff done in the new house. So we figured we'd get that interior stuff done first. That way we don't have to work around all of our junk being in the house as well. So, uh, figured to get that done first and then go ahead and move over. So we're still in the old house, but we're kind of moving over slowly, but surely, which, which is nice. I mean, it's nice to not have to rush it all over there all of a sudden. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. We we basically just bought the house we've been renting for the past three years. 
<laughs> That's awesome. So you guys don't even have to move. Nope. <laughs> nope. And um, yeah, my first big purchase was a lawnmower. Nice. Yeah, I've still got a. I haven't done that yet. I still need to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because I got so because with our monthly rent came, you know, they lawn service and all that stuff and landscaping. So I'm just like, well, shit, I'm gonna have to do that now. I know, right? <laughs> that's the weirdest feeling. I, I guess that's just the thing about when you've been renting for so long. Because I've I've only ever rented houses, and and so this is, and it, it's always come with lawn care and and all of that included in the rent. So to have to actually think about, oh, the grass is getting a little high. Oh wait, I have to do that now. Oh, I don't even own an lawnmower. Oh, I should probably go buy one of those. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so I recently bought my my first lawnmower, and it's been what over ten years since I had to mow along because I used to do it all the time as a teenager. Yeah, and um, they they don't tell you because I read the instructions. They say you only have to prime it three times when you oh, first that's get. Why. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm I'm reading the instructions and I'm just like, why the fuck won't this thing turn on? <laughs> <laughs> And then I just got completely fed up. I'm just like, fuck this thing. So I just primed it like a thousand times and starts right up. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> they they lie to you. They they like to think that their equipment actually works a whole lot better than it does. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you got to prime the ever-loving hell out of those things, especially when they're like, I mean, did you buy it brand new? Or... Yep. Oh, yeah. 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 You were, you were screwed from screwed from the get-go there. <laughs> yeah, so that 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 was very frustrating. But like I said, as soon as I got it primed and up, it's I be, it's cool because I remember back when I was a kid, you had to pull the hell out of those motors to get in oh, the start. Yeah. Now now they have it like I barely pull it and boom starts. I'm like, what the, what the fuck? Why couldn't they have this when I was a kid? Well, yeah, I mean, no kidding. <laughs> Especially when you were like, you know, I was mowing lawns when I was like ten. It's like I was barely big enough to even like pull the cord all the way. <laughs> And I'm having to do this 30 or 50 times. I mean, it was basically like a row machine for me. Like, yeah. it, it was terrible. Yeah, and now it's like you barely have to pull it, and I'm just like, wow. I mean, it's cool. I can make my six-year-old go mow the lawn now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that, that's Makes... the best thing about having kids, right? Free free labor? Like that's... Exactly. That's <laughs> how it works. Yeah, man. That's fantastic. So you've also got some interesting news too that i think something that you're working on that just got released what last week or this week Did yeah you... uh well it finally came out on itunes this week but we we released it last week i've i've launched my own show my own podcast with my wife allison uh it's called the animeathon and um basically we start watching an anime series and we'll watch a couple episodes for um, a couple episodes of the anime series for each show and kind of talk about it and make fun of it or laugh along with it or cry along with it or whatever but our caveat is that once we start a series we have to watch it to completion so even oh, if we both God. hate it <laughs> even if it's just the worst most disgusting piece of garbage ever we are going to finish it so you know it, i just i wanted something that would both last us a long time and be something that we could enjoy doing together. And anime is always something we've enjoyed doing together. And uh, it's been a long time in the making and uh, it's finally come out and it's available on iTunes. So everybody should go check that out. The anime a on iTunes, go rate and review it. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I definitely heard all the first episode because um, I had to get my oil changed the other day. And so, oh, nice. And so I figured, you know, why not listen to it to pass the time? And I got to say, you're the first episode. Well, well, one, I have to say, you and your wife, you have really good chemistry. On. Yeah. It, I mean, it felt very have... natural. I mean, and and it's just us having a conversation with each other, really, more than anything. And she's hilarious. Like, um, I don't, I don't know why she hasn't done more, because she's a big WoW player, and I don't know why she doesn't stream or anything, because she is absolutely hilarious in front of a microphone. But, but, uh, but yeah, I'm glad you were able to listen to it, and I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I gotta say, I didn't know they remade Helsing, sort of like what they did for Neon Genesis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. it it's something that they've kind of been doing a lot with, I mean, cause even full metal alchemist did it with brotherhood. Um, and it's more just kind of like a reboot modernization of the original show. Uh, but I mean, you can, and you could watch ultimate and it would pretty much fill you in on everything you need to know. So you don't even need to go back and watch the original series unless you wanted to. But yeah, um, that's what they sort of did with dragon ball Z, um, yep. recently, didn't they? Yeah, well, I mean, they with Dragon Ball Z, they released, a, what did they call it, Dragon Ball Z Kai? Yeah. Which was like, I mean, I guess it was, they did some changing, like they, uh, they I think they changed some of the script, they took some stuff out that didn't really make much sense, or, or changed a couple of plot points, um, but it was basically just like a, a kind of a, a visual upgrade from the original Dragon Ball Z. Oh, okay. Um, so, but there were—I mean, there were some story element changes. They—they they tend to do this a lot. I've noticed in anime. Um, I am not super knowledgeable on anime. I like watching it. I don't know a whole lot about it, but uh, or like the the creative process or anything like that. But it does seem yeah. like they—they they tend to go back to some of the more popular shows and give them a little bit of a polish and re-release them uh, under. A similar title or even the same title just a reboot but um, yeah, i know i saw helsing when i was in high school i just don't remember i mean you guys talking about it in that episode sort of reminded me of some things but yeah i just the the only thing i remember is alucard that's the only thing yeah and i mean the original helsing was actually i mean ultimate is the superior series by far oh yeah uh yeah i mean they they did a lot of polishing because like you said i mean the original Helsing is that's an old as hell show. I mean, it's I mean, as far as animes go and ultimate was the, the modernization of it. And they really just kind of polished it and made it way more accessible than the original show was made it less choppy, made it the plot stand out a little bit better. Um, I actually, I think I just think ultimate is the superior series to the original Helsing, but that's just my opinion. Every, every nerd has got their own opinion on anime, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God, I remember. Because especially in high school, because I was really into anime when I was in high school. Um, I, I remember, you know, watching all the popular stuff, Naruto and Dragon Ball oh, yeah. Z and all that stuff, and then getting to some really the obscure ones. Then you have the, I remember some of the kids in high school just, you know, scoffing like, oh, you watch Dragon Ball? Oh, plebe. And just... <laughs> Like, you, you need to watch this Denshiro X-55, you know, super obscure anime that no one's ever heard of except I I have. And just so, like, oh, God, shut up. The one where you have to go <laughs> on to, like, the darkest, deep, dark web just to get the episodes. And they, they don't even have English subtitles because nobody can figure out how to do it. It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I knew kids like that. I was just always like, shut up. I, I like my popular stuff. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, yeah, did you get my one message about watching that one-up anime, Elfin Lied? I do. I've never actually heard of that series. But uh, I'm going to start looking into it now. Cause <laughs> I, I think it came out with an animated series because I – because after a while, I stopped watching anime altogether, and I just started reading manga like insane. And I know that's a manga, and I think they did an animated series. Well, if it's a manga, it typically does have an animated series attached to it. Like that's just a that's just a typical progression. So, I'm sure there's one out there somewhere, and I'm sure I can find it if I look hard enough. Yeah, there is. Um, I can't remember if this was against your rules, um, because Elfin lied. There is some sexuality in it i mean it's not straight up hentai or anything no like that. that's not that's not against the rules i mean just as long as it's not like just straight up porn no like, no it's not we can watch it i mean and and really uh yeah it, that because i mean that's that's just something that is inherent to anime there's i mean anime and sexuality is kind of they kind of go hand in hand i mean you yeah. can't you can't get away from it entirely when you watch anime um, but there is a strict difference between a show that has like a sex scene in it as opposed to, you know, porn, like just, <laughs> oh yeah. Hentai, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. But no, I just wanted to say that, um, I really enjoyed that first episode and even though I'm not into anime that much, like I say, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, like you guys painted the picture pretty perfectly while just speaking. I was able to, even though I, I don't, I it's been years since I've seen it, but I was able to, you know, go along with you guys. Well, good, man. I'm glad. I mean, that's that's really what we're shooting for because both, like I said, both of us really like anime and enjoy watching it, but neither of us are experts, so we kind of come from it, come at it from a very non-highbrow look at anime. You know, <laughs> just kind of like let's just have a discussion about this crazy thing that we just watched that makes absolutely no sense, but for some reason we love it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. So that that's what we're hoping to do and and uh I'm glad we were finally able to put a show out that kind of matches what we wanted to do. So I'm excited about it. I think it'll be a great project. Yeah, are you guys doing weekly or bi-weekly or what is it? Yeah, we're going to start going weekly. Now, I mean if if our lives dictate that we have to switch to bi-weekly, which you know, kids can sometimes deem that necessary. But so rude of them. It is. They just get in our way. <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, my birthday was on Thursday. and Ooh, we, Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we went out Friday night, and this was the first, like, we got a sitter and everything, and this is, like, one of the first times we've been able to go out, just me and my wife with no kids, and it felt so weird. And Yeah, it does. I got way too drunk, and, you know, it was just <laughs> like... It was like, we have no kids. Let's go crazy. And then, you know, I wake up this morning. It's like, I'm hungover and I have kids. Oh, I have, I have made a horrible decision with my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Y usually if um, the wife and I are going to go drinking, only one of us, we allow one of us to go crazy. Yeah. And um... that's the way we have to do it. I mean, it's just. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just can't. I mean, I'm not a big drinker, first of all, but I just can't. I just can't do it anymore. I mean, it's just I can have like a drink or two, and I'll be like, okay, I'm good. Yeah, I feel like this may have been one of my last times because I just like I used to be able to shake off a hangover with no problem, and then go out the next night, you know, hair of the dog that bit me type thing. But I, 
I woke up this morning and I was just like, I never want to do this again. <laughs> this is hell. I am in hell. <laughs> yeah, we're we're getting old, man. We're... I know. It sucks. It's terrible. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, we're saying this now, but just wait till we're like over 40 or 50 and just be like, oh, shit, we were so young and stupid. Oh, oh no, no. That's when I'm going to start getting drunk <laughs> and every night. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> See, what I'm glad about having kids young is by the time I'm 40, my kids will be... 18 i think my youngest will be closer to 18 so just be like yeah get the fuck out of my house i don't exactly. care what you're doing <laughs> you don't have to like yeah you won't be raising kids your entire life anyway that's that's yeah. that is the beautiful thing about doing it how we did it having kids so young but yeah i mean yeah i missed out on some party years but eh, I, I was i've never been much of a big partier honestly neither was i really <laughs> Yeah, I've always been more of a, you know, I like I like to go to different places, like traveling and all that. And, yeah, I, I did get to miss out on that. But, you know what, I've got all my whole life for that. Oh, so. yeah, totally. And, and you know, the, those experiences, they might always come back around again. But having kids is an experience that you only get once, you know. Oh, I know, man. It's, it's incredible. As much as I bitch and complain, I love my kids and they oh, know yeah. it and just – God, they've got me. And having girls, they just wrap me around their fingers. Like, yep. You, you have two girls, right? Or is two it two girls? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, two yeah. girls. God, isn't it just like? Oh, I, I don't know. It, <laughs> it's like you look at them and it's like, oh, they're so pretty, so wonderful. I'm gonna kill everybody who tries to get near them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm just. There was a vine or something I was watching earlier today that was on Facebook of this. Uh, uh, Scottish dad whose daughter, whose young daughter was like, I want to get a boyfriend. And he's like, if you do, daddy will break his legs. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's me right now. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's something about daughters, man. They, they wrap their daddies around their finger and it's all over at that point. It is completely all over. Yeah. It's really weird because I feel like sometimes having a son I mean, I, I know it would be different. I'd still love him and protect him and all that stuff. But if he were to be like, oh, I'm going to get a girlfriend, I'd be like, yeah, you go, boy. Yeah, yeah exactly. you got this. <laughs> it's a totally different dynamic. I think it's because we lived it. You know, you yeah, guys, we lived being a young man, being a, being a boy. We know what's going on in their heads. I, I have no. Oh, yeah. I have no freaking clue what's going on in my daughter's heads. And it terrifies me. But. <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, no, it would be. It'd be completely different. I mean, you're you would like you said, you wouldn't feel differently towards them, but the dynamic would be completely different for sure. Yeah, my oldest is getting to be a teenager this year, and she's oh, oh, oh. Um, oh, she's already getting to that stage of um, I know better than mommy and daddy. I know. Oh God, welcome <laughs> to hell. <laughs> oh, I know. It's just funny, but no, it's it, it is what it is just gonna go through because we all went through that emo stage oh absolutely no one understands me and yeah you know dashboard confessional the whole nine yards oh god yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's considered like old timey music now i know i know oh god that's horrifying i know it's just another it's just another thing that points me to the fact that i'm old I mean, well, think about like 
Eminem is a really good example. My my daughter loves that song Rap God. Yeah. And I'm just like, holy fuck, I was listening to Eminem at your age. Like, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly. Oh, it, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's so weird, too, at the same time. Yeah. No, it's completely weird. Like, it, it's, it feels so surreal, you know? Uh, yeah. But, um... All right, let's actually start talking about some magic here. Yeah! So, how's it been going with you and magic lately? Gotten any magic news or... Magic news, not really. I haven't been super thrilled with Standard as of late. Oh, uh, so I'm not the only one. No, you are absolutely not. I am, I am very disillusioned with Standard at the moment, and to the point where I haven't even played Standard, I think, in about three weeks um i've been just doing strictly limited and and a little bit of commander here and there but uh yeah no standard has completely lost me and i can't really put my finger on what it is but i i just have no absolutely no interest in playing this standard season i have no idea why well have you tried that grixis control deck that's going around no i saw it and you know that that did pique my interest a little bit because i i have uh, uh, just a love of well, more than a love. I'll go. I'll go as far as obsession um, for for Grixis. Just that color combination is just gets me right in the feels. Yeah. So it's uh, it's a list that I think I might be willing to try, and it might be what brings me back around to standard. But uh, before that, like I was running like like the red blue control deck and then green white tokens and i just hated my life like for some reason it just was like oh gosh no i don't want to be doing this for an entire standard season no i know what you mean i was playing i, I didn't even go to fnm the other night it's i just because i had the day off yesterday and i took a little nap and i woke up like all right i'm gonna go to magic and i'm like I feel like I'm forcing myself to go right now where I don't really have any desire to play standard. And if my shop was, if my shop also had modern F and M I'd be there in a heartbeat. Um, but I was just, I I don't know, just something about it. I just wasn't into it. And I kind of, I kind of agree with you. It's just sort of, I don't know. It's something about it. It just one. I feel like with collected company, just really, really, not marginalizes, but I guess limits the the deck diversity. Yeah, right now, it's true. And I mean, it's it's the way uh, the way a buddy of mine explained it to me. And he's still playing standard, but he and he was one of the biggest standard players I know. Like he's just a diehard standard player, and even he's having you know just issues with standard right now. And his the way he explained it is either you're playing a collected company deck or you're playing a not collected company deck. And if you're playing a collected company deck, you know, there's, there's only really a couple ways you can build that deck. And if you're not playing a collected company deck, well, then you got to build your deck to beat the collected company decks. And anytime that standard revolves around one card being so pivotal in the format that it shapes all the decks around it, it's never healthy. I mean, I, I just think back to, like, the Cobblade days and stuff like that. It, this is no... I'm not suggesting that this is anywhere near as bad as the Cobblade days. Yeah. But it's that kind of same deal, you know, where you have one card that is literally just warping the format around its axis. And it, it's just... 
I don't know. It feels icky. It feels icky to me. Yeah, I kind of agree. And it's like I said, while playing that band company deck, it almost felt like I was playing Abzan in a sense where it's just, yeah. I mean, not that I'm slamming down Siege Rhinos or anything like that, but <laughs> hell, Siege Rhino would be really fucking good right now. I, I, I could go for a Siege <laughs> Rhino right now. Like, I hate it on that guy, but I would actually, I would, I would be very happy with uh, with four Siege Rhinos at the moment. It's isn't it weird? Because I remember when we were doing that farewell episode, we were just like, "Fuck Siege Rhino, get the fuck out of here." And <laughs> I think, it, not... I, honestly, I think it's just that. You know, looking back to when we did the Sunset Show and, and when I was, uh, you know, looking at uh, Innistrad, I, I just – I really thought the format would be shaken up more than it did. And and I think that's why I was so excited to see Siege Rhino go because I was going to have the, all these new decks to be so excited about. And it just feels like nothing really changed, you know? Yeah, and you know what's almost a little bit sad? And as much as I – I played the deck for a little bit before um, Cons and Fate rotated out, but it, I just never had fun with it. I'm not all too thrilled that basically Four Color Rally is back. It is! And that deck should be dead. <laughs> I mean, it, it should have been dead the moment that the Fetchlands rotated. That that deck should not have should not have continued to exist. But it is with Cryptolith Rite and Loam Dryad. It... Why? 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 <laughs> Why? Why? How it's I don't know, man. Just like I was when I mean it was cool watching um when Louis Scott Scott Vargas did it on the Pro Tour that just the green black version. Yeah. And like how fast it was. I'm like, oh this is cool. And then that that was my first reaction. Then as I saw it was doing better and better, I'm like, oh no. Exactly. <laughs> this is how it's gonna be. This I feel like the, this is the reaction that everybody has to these those kind of like sacrifice drain you out combo esque decks, you know. Ever since Aristocrats, like back uh, back in I guess that was original Innistrad was the Aristocrats yeah. deck. Um, everybody loves to watch it like th for that first week, and they think it's super cool. And yeah. then the realization creeps in that oh no, wait, you're gonna have to play against this deck a lot, and you're gonna hate it. You're going to hate every minute of it. It's just, yeah, they're cool to see go off the first few times, but then when you realize, oh, this is going to be a, a staple of the format, ugh, it's just, it's grody. <laughs> it is. It really is. It's like, and now that four-color rights has become a thing, I'm just, I'm just like, we're back at square one now. We're we, back at... We <sighs> literally are. I mean, like, what, our, our best decks in the in the format are uh, a couple of collected company decks and a, a sacrifice deck and no real control deck besides the Grixis one. And the thing, the thing with the Grixis control deck is while I like it, I haven't actually taken it to FNM or a PPTQ yet. I've been playing it online. It's more of a spot removal deck. It's there's, there's no counter spells except in the sideboard. Yeah. It plays like a mid range deck really more than yeah. anything i mean it it's it's definitely a control deck but it's not like when you think of a control deck with blue in it you at least think oh it's got to have some counter magic in it or something but no i mean the deck is really built more as just like a my spells are i'm gonna let your stuff resolve but it's just not gonna stay on the board very long 
pretty much. And and that it feels more mid rangey than than it does a, a true blue control deck, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a fun deck, but it's um, I need to take it to an actual event. Does just... does the list that you were looking does it run Kalidus in it as well, or did they cut those? Yeah, no, it runs um four of Kalidus. Four Kalidus. Oh, good lord. Yeah, which I'm <laughs> glad. Which I'm glad I picked up my playset before it spiked up over thirty bucks. Jeez, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm gonna be looking at those in my binder and be like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I- I'm surprised at how well that card is shot up i mean it's even seeing a lot of play in modern now too and well it's a super powerful card and and yeah and i think the fact that uh four color rights is still a deck means that kalidus even has just more uh more value there because of the exile effect you know before we had kalidus but we also had anafenza doing that now we've just got Kalidus doing that, and that the value of that, especially for a, a black control deck, has gone up exponentially. Yeah, man. It's um another thing. I know we talked about this on the sunset, 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 the sunset show. Um, that I we were sort of thinking that standard was going to be more two color or mono colored. Yeah, it's not. No, absolutely not. And and <laughs> and I think that's just a another symptom that something isn't quite right with this standard season. Cuz normally when you get when you go from near perfect mana to no longer, you know, you know, just maybe semi good mana, it it means you take away some colors. Yeah. Like, that that's just the logical progression of of a format when you lose perfect mana you got to compensate by maybe cutting a color but for some reason and i don't know what's to blame for this because the mana still isn't that good but we're we've still got three to four color decks and and barely any two color decks have been doing well besides like green white tokens but i don't even think that's truly two colors anymore i think they splash a third color in a lot of those lists um, I'm just taking a look at a list right now, and I'm only seeing two colors. Oh, good. Okay. Whew. I mean, I'm don't, I'm I'm not gonna play that deck. I hate that deck. I played it, and and I completely just hated my life. But at least there's one deck out there that is staying true blue two color. I mean, is that a sign of? I mean, it's when you look at the magic personality archetypes. I guess, like, there's Spike, Johnny, and Timmy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are certain times where I consider myself a Spike where I want to win no matter what. I mean, not not so much at Friday Night Magic, because mm-hmm. that that's more of a, I'm training, that's more of a training ground for me. Um, but then there's other times where, like, what you say, green-white tokens, that's obviously a very good deck, but you feel dirty playing it. And, yeah. And it, it sort of makes me... It's 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 weird that you know because I, I feel similar, especially when I played four color rally, um, you know, Bant Company and Abzan in the past, where it's like it it, it wins well, but you're not having any fun doing it. I think that's yeah. the thing there. And honestly, I think that's just the sign of the of the spike, you know, because um, and I would consider myself a spike player even at F and M. While I'm not, you know, maybe I'm not like in full tryhard mode. I do picture it. I picture F and M like you said, like this is my training ground, so I'm still going to play 
to you know pretty much the best of my abilities even if that oh, makes yeah. you mad but um so i i think it's kind of the the mentality of the spike you know our while we want to play the best deck and we will play the best deck because we want to win even if the best deck goes completely against our style of player you know because i you know i'm the kind of player that i enjoy slow mid-range decks or control decks but hell if mono red aggro is the best deck in the format and i can have the highest chance of winning statistically with that deck i will sleeve that guy up in a heartbeat and i will hate every minute of it but i'll still walk away with the trophy (laughs) you know yeah i think that's just part of the mentality of the spike we don't we don't really care if it's if it's crushing our soul to play a certain deck if it's the best deck we're gonna play it (laughs) i mean that's just a guarantee yeah i feel like my mentality changes a bit more when i get into the comp rel events like tqs and iqs you know, I'll I'll definitely do my best, and I don't care if it's a miserable deck. That I'm playing a miserable deck. Oh yeah, no, no, absolutely. There's only there's only one goal there. I don't care what deck you put in my hand for that. It's I am I am walking away with that top eight or that prize money. And so yeah. you could slap slap at that point. If it was a legacy event, you could put miracles in my hand, and I would play it. But I I am against everything that stands for. <laughs> I think that we should gather up every copy of Sensei's Divining Top and burn them. But uh, but if you slap miracles in my hand and said, "Here, go play in this Legacy uh, Premier event," I'd be like, "Yes, sir! Right now, let's do this." Yeah, it's oh god, the deck's just so boring. It's so boring. It's it's just like it's like Lantern Control and Modern. Just oh, like oh my god, it's even worse. Um, you know, I gotta say, one of the worst matches I ever remember watching was, um, shit, what was it? It was a standard one. It, you probably know which one I'm talking about when, um, it was a Star Cities game where they both got up to, like, 150 life. Oh, yeah! It was that, that was, green-white... It was the oh, green, it was the green-white Megamorph mirror match between... Yes, um, yes. Who was it? Was it Sam Black and somebody? I, I do not remember who it was, but... I, I can't remember who it was, but they both just kept... Because they both had, um, what is it, Mastery of the Unseen, and they they kept just un, they both just kept flipping stuff all day long, and they both got up to like three hundred something life, and they couldn't even finish game one. Yeah, what what was that? What's that one green card that allows you to manifest at the end of your turn? Um, uh, Whisperwood Elemental. Yes, yep. yes, that card too. Yeah, oh, man. no, I remember that deck. It was absolutely miserable because I was playing Esper Dragons during that uh, that season of Standard, and I was like, you know, I can beat this deck, but if they start just gaining just disgusting amounts of life, it's going to be, we're going to go to time. We're going to go to time every time. <laughs> it's just... Uh. Yeah, I remember one time someone took that deck to F&M. It was this girl, and she was um, she was a really good player. And all that, but she was playing this deck, and she was the type of person where she does every single trigger individually. Oh, and I'm just like, um, it it was game one, and she got up to she started getting up insane amounts of life, and I'm just like, you win. Yeah. Just, let's go to game just, two. Like I, I don't please. care, and and I had a chance of winning, but I'm just like, oh god, this is so painful to watch. <laughs> I don't feel like wasting you know 50 minutes, and I think I just let her win game two because she started getting off the 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 steps again i'm just like i, I just want to go <laughs> i know i don't mean. care just win 
Oh my gosh, that's so miserable. So absolutely <laughs> miserable. Yeah, man. So what do you think of um, EMA, Eternal Masters? I'm excited for it. I mean, am I going to buy a lot of it? Probably not because, you know, yep. I have bills. But if I what? if I didn't have bills, I would I would be buying a lot of this. I I I dig it, and I've always I've always enjoyed the Modern Masters uh, product that they did. So it, it had you know it sometimes had its flaws, but I think I think they've from what I've seen so far anyway, I like the direction EMA is going. Yeah, I'm excited that some of the green cards that I need for my Legacy Elf deck are in there sylvan library natural mm -hmm. order um i mean some even a lot of the elves are in there too yeah so that gets me excited uh cabal therapies in there there's some tasty uh there's some tasty tasty cards in there that i wouldn't mind getting my mitts on that's for sure oh yeah if anything i'm probably just gonna buy some singles out of it i may buy a few booster packs depending on how much um my my shop is selling them for well, you know they're not going to be at cost, so get, just get ready for that. Yeah, the fact that they're putting a Jace the Mind Sculptor in there as well, yeah, because so long MSRP. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, other than you know, other than that, a lot of the cards that are showed they look really cool. Um, a lot of the complaints I'm reading that oh, it's not doing enough to get more people into Legacy. They need to get rid of the reserve list and all that, or or at least print out reserve list cards. And yeah, I've I've got my own opinions on the reserved list. Um and you know, I know it's a touchy subject and it's it's a confusing subject and it's difficult to for a lot of people to to get uh and but I think honestly like EMA this is not I think what people need to understand is this this is not the same thing as modern masters, you know. Modern, Ma yeah. Modern Masters was printed specifically <clears throat> to get new players to start playing Modern, to get Modern cards into the hands of new players. This is, Eternal Masters is, well, Modern Masters was so cool, what if we made, and, and Modern Masters played well as a draft format, why don't we do the same thing except with Legacy and Vintage cards? Um, so th I feel like they're printing this more as like a, almost more like a, a, a draftable ready-made cube more than anything else i i don't think that the the intention of this was to get more people to play legacy but i mean i could be wrong but it it doesn't it doesn't have that same feel that modern masters had with that yeah it's um i i understand where you're coming from it's when you look at the sort of staples they printed mm -hmm. i mean that's very few and far between as far as a lot of legacy staples. We've got, you know, Force of Will and Wasteland, of course. There's Caracas, um, a lot of the tutors, but a lot of the tutors aren't that, are not really in legacy decks that no. I see at least. No, a lot of them aren't. And I mean, and and that's why this, this makes me think that this was printed more just as a draft format with some cool, cool stuff in there. But I mean, you got it. I mean, you got to look at it this as well that, a lot of the legacy staples, quote unquote, that are in here are going to be at, you know, either rare or mythic rare uh, levels. So it's not like you're going to get a legacy staple every time you open a pack of this. Um, yeah. And then you got stuff like Burning Vengeance and a bunch of retrace cards and flashback cards. And it's like, 
Well, nobody plays Burning Vengeance in Legacy. That that card would be terrible in Legacy, but uh, but it plays really good with Retrace. So we're gonna we're gonna put Burning Vengeance and some flashback stuff in here, and so it's just I, I think they're they're coming at it, designing it as a draft format, and and that's how it should be approached. I don't know, but but I am excited for it. I mean, I'm ex- and a lot of the the new art looks pretty. I love the uh, I love the new art on Counterspell. Um, oh really? It's I don't know. It it's nice. I like it, but I'm always a I'm a sucker for a lot of the old art. And Mercadian Mass Counterspell has always been my favorite. Oh, that's by far my favorite. I, I'm not saying that this is my favorite. I do like it, but uh, but I I do like the old the old art as well. Um, I I just think it did it justice. I mean, that's that's always the, yeah. the fear of reprinting a new card with new art. It's like, well, is it still gonna feel the same way? So. I, I I like it. I think they did fine with it. Yeah, there's um there's just one of the complaints that I had were some of the reprints just seemed a little unnecessary, I guess. And and I understand it's a draft set. I guess I was a little bit weirded out by some of the elf cards they printed. Like why would they put Shaman of the Pack in there? Well like That's interesting. Yeah. Or I, I guess because I was under the impression that when they announced it, they were going to be mainly card like older cards, you know, from from Alpha to I don't know, maybe up to Innistrad or something. Like, I guess I wasn't expecting so many cards that were just recently put out. Yeah, I think well, with and with a name like Eternal Masters, how could you not think that? You know, yeah. Like if 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 I was coming out with something called you know Vintage something or other, then that that name just implies look this is going to be all old stuff that's really hard to get your hands on so to see something like shaman of the pack when, or or thunderclap wyvern that or wyvern that was really weird one yeah that i don't get that one <laughs> i actually just don't get that one period yeah um and um i'm sure i'm sure it has something to do with with how this set is going to play draft wise um and I think Shaman of the Pack was in there just because, hey, we did want to print some of these elf cards. We need to make elves maybe an, a viable archetype in the draft format or something like that. But Oh, it, it definitely will be. Yeah. Um, you got Heritage Druid, Shaman of the Pack. You've got Wirewood Symbiote. Or Symbiote. Um, God, you got so many freaking elves in here. Yeah, I think I think that's the only reason why they did that. But it still feels kind of, eh. Like we just we literally just got this card. Like, why? Why do we need it again? <laughs> yeah, that I, I agree with that. Um, one of the other cards, or I guess set of cards that really made me scratch my head was when it came to the lands and they reprinted the cons lands. Mm-hmm. Just why? I mean, I understand that most sets need dual lands, you know, just for color fixing. But I don't. Couldn't they have? I don't know something else well, besides cons lands. There are way better. I mean, let, let's be perfectly honest here. There are way better options from older sets that they could have used here. Like I, yeah, and, and it wouldn't have, you know, with lands especially. Like you don't have to take the draft format into consideration. There, it's like okay, we need some dual lands. All right, we'll just grab like I don't know the the buddy lands from back in M10. You know, like something like that. You know, it doesn't 
that this makes yeah it makes literal no sense to me yeah i mean i don't know man it's we don't work in this game we don't we don't know what their mindset is for printing stuff and and of course there's always that the boogeyman we don't want to piss off the secondary market oh god i mean (laughs) all hail the reserve list i mean the secondary market is the reason the reserve list exists and it's just uh yeah the, the uh I, I love this game, but there are some aspects of it that really make me just kind of feel icky, and the secondary market is one of them. <laughs> yeah, and oh God, we could have a whole podcast just about that. Oh, I, um, I could go on for hours about it. I really <laughs> could. I've got some real strong opinions on the secondary market. <laughs> oh, before before I ask you about them, there was another crime committed in EMA, and um, I saw it brought up on Reddit. Um, the Werebear flavor text. I haven't. And this. EMA. Ha, ha, okay, go go look it up and um and look up the original Werebear printing. Okay. And you'll see you'll see the flavor text difference. I just want I just want to hear your reaction. All right, let me see here. Why is my computer being so slow? Okay. Looking it up. Yeah, it just made me go, like, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't understand their whole thought process with flavor text either, but it's like, why couldn't they just keep the original? So they changed it completely? Is that? Yeah. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. Where are you? I should edit in some, like, music. Like do some, do uh, do do yeah, <laughs> Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> well, my computer is just, I mean, of course, like the moment I decide that I need to look something up while I'm on this call, my computer is just like, hey, we're going to take 10 years to look this up. Nope. You ain't looking up shit. Enjoy all of that silence. That's going to be on your buddy's podcast because I'm just not doing shit. Enjoy. Awkward. <laughs> it's just awkward silence right now. Oh God, make it stop! <laughs> I'm finally there. Okay. Why is abundant growth going to be in this set? I, 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 I is it really? Yes. Abundant growth. I don't get that. Okay. Where bear? To be. What the fuck? Yeah, to become is to understand, and I want you to read up the original Werebear flavor text. Okay, I'm going to gather Werebear. Oh my god! (laughs) That is infinitely better. Infinitely. What? Why would they not keep he exercises his right to bear arms? He exercises his right to bear arms. Why would they not keep that? That, to me, is the biggest crime committed in this set. It absolutely is. Oh, my gosh. That's so horrible. (laughs) And what does this even mean, to become is to understand? I I don't get that at all whatsoever. Because... All right, so you're a werebear. You get bitten by a bear, and you become a bear. I guess to become a bear is to understand what a bear is like. Maybe it's like maybe it's one of those like 
sick Disney storylines where it's like maybe this person like hated bears and 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 kicked a kicked a bear one time or something and so a witch turned him into a bear so he could understand what it's like to be a bear or even better the person who came up with this flavor text had either is just getting out of being a teenager or has a teenager and was thinking of oh emo-ness oh <laughs> to become is to understand you just don't understand me <laughs> you just don't get it you, you don't understand my pain i've got i've got some music you should listen to if you want to understand <laughs> <that>. yeah <laughs> well that's horrible that is that is a huge crime because seriously he exercises his right to bear arms as one of the best freaking flavor texts i've ever read in my entire life yeah it is and it just it makes me kind of sad in a sense yeah yeah it's it's almost like wizards is is slowly losing any kind of sense of humor that they used to have oh well we don't want to offend people yeah. that's the thing <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't want to offend people who might have bear arms. who might have bear arms I can't even say that with a straight face. These guys are jerks. I, I had to have arm replacement surgery and all they had was bare arms. And they're making jokes about us. We are a proud people. <laughs> all dozens of us. <laughs> oh, man. It's terrible. You know, if they wanted to make this... You know it's another card they left out? And I know this would have broken the draft format, but why not? They should have reprinted Soul Ring. Yeah, it would have it would have completely broken the format, but I I can see why. I mean, it's it's basically a staple in every format you can run it. Yeah, which is what EDH and Vintage. Uh, EDH and Vintage. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All it's two about it. formats. Boom, and whatever other crazy formats there are. Yeah. <laughs> Something not sanctioned, you know, crazy underground, non, no restrictions, something or other. I don't know. Yeah, the reprints I was happy to see were Sylvan Library, Natural Order. I was happy to see Dak Vaden reprinted, and I'm yes. glad that brought his price down. Yeah, that's going to help out a lot. Uh, I like, I do like that fact. Um, just taking a look through some of these spoilers that I haven't caught up all in completely yet to see if there was one that caught my eye uh, i like seeing death right reprinted i mean he wasn't too expensive of a card but just to see him again just to help bring it down was nice yeah that's gonna be cool i like uh you know just because i'm a horrible person i like the fact that balance is in this set uh wait balance is in this yeah set? balance dude it's did i miss it's it? a mythic oh yeah that white one mm -hmm. Each player chooses a number of lands uh, equal to the number of lands controlled by the player who controls the fewest, then sacrifices the rest. So basically, yeah. everybody just, it's balance. And, and you do the same with um, discarding cards from your hand and sacrificing creatures. So there, there are some really hilarious things you could do with balance, and I've done some nasty, gross, broken stuff in cube with balance. So it'll be cool to see that here in the format. So you know what they um Oh crap, what did what did they um miss miss here? Hold on. There's a little combo. They missed all but one card for like at least a janky limited combo. Let me see if I can 
remember the combo here. Um, yeah. Hmm. I'm looking through right now to see if anything catches my eye as far as a combo goes, but... Hold on. When... Oh, crap. How did it go? It was um because they reprinted Karmic Guide, uh -huh. and they reprinted Carrion Feeder, and it had something to do with what Protean Hulk... Um, the Flash Hulk combo? Is that... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. How come they didn't reprint Protean Hulk? I mean, this would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, think about it. Because you got Natural Order and you got um, Green Sun Zenith. Right. Why not just, you know, do that? That would have been hilarious. It, it absolutely would have been hilarious. And I would have tried to draft that deck basically every time. <laughs> I mean, like, there would just be no... There would be no if ands, or buts about it, man. I'd be trying to draft that deck every time. But uh yeah, I think I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that they didn't in a way, but in another way I would want to see just how busted that would be. So I do kind of want to see that. <laughs> well, the th the thing is it'd be really hard to draft one because both are at rare or yes. Karmic and Protean are at rare. Um, they'd probably put Protean at Mythic or something. It would have if they to be. Did... It would absolutely yeah. have to be. So, I mean, it would be, I think it would be few and far between you'd see it ever, but it'd still be cool to see. Yeah, I would, I would just love to see it go off one time in a, in a limited match. That would just, that would just make my entire life. <laughs> yeah, it'd be hilarious. Just to see that happen once. Yeah, man. So, I, I guess let's actually get on to what I brought you on here for. Absolutely. Today. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, we we can yeah, let's just talk about it. So I brought you on to discuss limited. Let's just talk about limited altogether. Because why not? Limited, 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 limited as a whole. Man. It's so Oh yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Um I guess let's start off with what is limited compared to constructed. Well, limited is a form of magic where basically the cards that you have to go off of are you have a limited card pool to select your cards from. That's why it's called limited. Uh you've got two formats in there. You've got uh you've got draft and you have sealed. Um draft is where you all sit down at the table with eight players. Uh you pass around three booster packs and you draft one card out of each pack. Um and from that pool of cards you get from the draft, you construct a 40-card deck. Um, in Sealed, you open up, oh gosh, how many booster packs is it? Six? Yeah, six. Six booster packs, uh, and then you use that to build a 40-card deck. Limited decks are always 40 cards. Um, well, that's the minimum number is 40 cards. And then the rest of the cards that are left over are your sideboard. Um, so... Oh, man, there are so many so many sweet differences between uh, limited and constructed, um, but on a whole, that's like that's your basic definition of limited um, is uh, is forty card decks. You have less cards to choose from, uh, and there's usually something going on with that. Either draft or sealed uh, are the two formats there. So, what are the really big differences between? when trying to build a deck in sealed or draft? Well, the biggest thing is, I mean, in between sealed and draft, it's even between sealed and draft, it's different, let alone uh, between sealed, draft, and constructed. 
Um, but in sealed, you know, you, when you get your pool of cards, uh, you know, you're not, well, maybe I should start with draft actually. Cause in draft, you're basically play, you're, you're drafting against everybody else around your table. Uh, so if you want to go into a specific deck or a specific color, uh, you kind of have to read the people around your table, make sure that you're drafting in the right colors, um, making sure that the colors that you want are open. Um, so that way you come away with a deck that can actually work. You know, you want to make sure that you actually have enough playables to, to have a decent deck. Um, sealed is a little bit easier in the sense that you're not fighting anybody for your cards. You know, it's more kind of luck of the draw. Whatever you open, you open. And then it's more about your skills as a deck builder. Like, how do I take this, this giant heap of cards and, uh, and, and make gold out of it, basically? So there's a little bit more, I think there's a little bit more luck involved with your actual card pool in Sealed, but there's a little bit more, there's some, there's some nuances there because it takes a lot of, uh, of deck building skill to be very good at Sealed. Because uh, you, you need to know what cards are in the set, what cards work together well. Um, since it's all within a set, you know, you're not you're not going to be looking back to you know like like what we have in standard uh, or other constructed formats where you've got multiple sets here. You're you're looking at one set. Like, what are the synergies in in this one set? Um, and so, uh, I personally prefer draft to sealed, uh, just because I I like it a lot. I mean, I love drafting, um, but sealed has its own nuances that I really enjoy as well. But that, I mean, that's the biggest difference to me is just that your 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 card pool is going to be different and and the choices you have to make when building a deck are going to be a lot different well what kind of nuances are there between the two well like i said with uh with sealed it's more about what you open right so like mm -hmm. like when i open a sealed pool uh typically what i do is i'll open all six booster packs i'll pull out the cards that i know right off the top of my head are going to be my super powerful cards. Um, that's going to be typically if you open up, you know, like a mythic or a super bomby, powerful rare, um, you'll want to put those off to the side and then kind of look at the colors that those, those bombs go in, you know, and see like, okay, well, which ones are actually going to be playable based on the cards that I open to support those, uh, those rares and mythics. Um, and then you kind of build your, you build your deck around that in draft. It's a little bit different because while, you know, obviously while bomb rares and mythics and draft are, are just as powerful and you're going to want to take them every time uh, in draft, it's really, it's more about reading your opponents around the table to get yourself the deck that is being passed to you. You know, there, there's a saying in draft is don't get married to your rares and uh and that's because i can't tell you how many times that i've opened a very powerful rare but five or six picks into the draft i'm realizing okay i opened this super powerful black rare i really really want to play it but the black is just not flowing there must be like three other guys at this table drafting black and and this is just not open but white is really open i, I might not have as many bombs in white or zero bombs, but I've got a lot of really strong. Um, uh, I've got a strong curve in white. 
I've got some strong removal, so white is open, so maybe I just don't play this black rare, and 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 you do that a lot. So uh, I think that's the I think that's the biggest difference to me, and the the most nuancey thing is that it feels like the rares and the mythics are way more important in sealed than they are in draft. I, I don't know if you've ever felt the same way, but I I've, I've kind of noticed that as I go along my limited career. Yeah, it's I've sort of noticed something similar to where, you know, you're doing a draft, you know, pick one, pack one is um say you open up an Archangel Avison <laughs> in Game you know over. in your first pack. <laughs> But let's just say for the rest of the draft, you don't pull no good white cards are coming your way at all. Right. You know, do you still try to put her in, even though she's really, really, really good, but you have nothing to that supports white at all? At know, that point, it, like the, I mean, obviously the, uh, the crazy person in me is like, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it. We're splashing, <laughs> we are splashing a double white card in my completely not white deck just because it's just that good. But yeah. but any other sane drafter would tell you, no, absolutely. You take that Archangel Alveson, you put her in a nice sleeve, you slide that sleeve into your deck box, and you leave it right there. And you play the deck that is passed to you. You play the deck that the term they use is play the deck that your seat is given. Wherever you're around the table, what's being passed to you, what's open, and, and what's going to give you the best chance of actually winning your pod, winning your draft, and, and coming away successfully? That's what you want to draft. Not the stuff that's flashy, that catches your eye. What What's actually going to give you the best chance of winning based on your seat? Yeah, definitely. That That's a good way of putting it, actually. Um, and it's I know, I know a lot of new newbie drafters fall into that trap to where they get those flashy rares or you know, that really bomb, quote-unquote, bomb card, and they try to build around it, but there's no consistency in their deck. Right. It's it's the biggest trap. I mean, if, if there's if there's any giant trap that every drafter falls into at some point in their career, the biggest one is getting married to your rare. Opening that Archangel Avacyn, which is, by the way, easily the best card in this set, limited-wise. Oh, like, yeah. I, I have yet to lose... A, a, a draft where I've gotten an Archangel Avison and been able to play her in a deck because she's just that good like she's just insane and if you open a card to that level it's so easy to be like I'm just going to force this color because I want to play this card so badly or like uh, I you know I was teaching a buddy of mine to draft and he opened um what was it? His very first draft, he opened a Triskaidekaphobia. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, well, it's, it, you know, I like black I li and I it's a rare, so I'm going to take it. And he, you know, he, I was trying to coach him along and be like, you know, okay, you can take it if you really want to. But if black's not open, you know, we got to think about maybe ditching the Triskaidekaphobia. And he didn't do it. And he, he put it in the deck and it was, it was horrific. It was, it was awful. <laughs> But uh, you know that's just the thing. You can't you can't afford to just be so locked in on your rare that you miss the wide open color that that's coming around the table around you. You, you got to keep your wits about you when you're drafting in that sense. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, what do you what do you also um, some advice that you give to new players too about you know because one of the things that I found difficult when you know, really trying to get into draft was 
you know, say say you get a you get your the pack, you know, pass next to you. There's some really good creatures, but you've been drafting a lot of creatures lately, and you don't have that many good spells. Should you then start focusing on spells at that point, or what do you normally try to do? Uh, what I would say is absolutely not. Uh, in in drafts, specifically draft. Now, this is not the same in sealed. Sealed is a little bit different, but. Uh, in draft, the most important thing you can draft are creatures. Uh, I can't tell you how many games, how many games of limited that I've won, just based on drafting a solid curve of just solid vanilla creatures. Your your deck doesn't have to be fancy here. Uh, the way that you win in limited, it's it's very uh, or draft actually. It's very rare that anybody's going to get like a super awesome combo or like this perfect control deck it just doesn't happen the, the way people win in draft is is getting creatures and turning them sideways um so when uh if i see if if i'm deep into a couple of packs maybe maybe we're into pack two here and i've i've got a pretty good curve and it's going to be between like a curve topping creature or a half decent spell Unless I've got creatures in my deck that care about the number of spells I have, usually I'm going to take the creature over the spell. Just something that affects the board. Cards that affect the board are so important in draft. Um, and that's uh, that's something I tell new players all the time, is make sure that when you're taking a pick, if, if, it's, if it's a hard choice, really look at the card and say, okay, how does this affect the board when I play it? Is this worth the mana that I'm paying for it? What effect is this going to give me when I'm ahead, when I'm behind? Uh, you know, where where do I want to play this card? Like, it, it's a two-drop, but maybe its effect is powerful enough that I want to play it more as a four-drop if it's got a kicker or something like that. Um, so it's... I think that's that's the thing that I try to drill into to new players most, especially new drafters, is really... Look at your picks and make sure that you're taking cards that affect the board, cards that are going to be good in multiple situations, and and not situational cards like, hey, Triskaidekaphobia. That's a perfect example of a card that's uh, can be very good and and says on the text. I mean, it says on the card basically there's a way for you to just insta win the game. But if if you're not if you're not able to support a strategy like that, it's just a, a completely dead card in your deck. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it, so what do you also suggest for players when, I, I guess, I don't know if it's diff or if you think it's different in sealed or draft for, what should they look for in creatures when picking creatures to put in their deck? Well, it's not super different. I mean, the card evaluation is, there. there, there are some differences between draft and sealed. Again, in sealed, it's more about you know how lucky am I when I open my packs, you know, because you you can only use what you're what you're given. It's not it's not yeah. like you're having to choose out of a out of a out of a pack which card I want for my deck. You know, that you're going to have all of them, so it's just a matter of then you know what it what did I open. Um, but there's a uh, a tried and true method in draft uh, that they call the vanilla test. Which I'm, I'm sure that you've heard that before, yeah. um, and uh, I, I try to teach that to new players as well. Is, is look at the card and look at its, its mana costs as opposed to its stats. 
Um, so like a uh, a two two for two, uh, you know, straight up old fashioned grizzly bear um, is gonna it's gonna pass on the vanilla test, and and by the vanilla test, I mean it does the mana cost. Are you getting enough for the mana cost? And two two for two typically is getting a pretty good value for the mana cost, depending on the format. Uh, you know, sometimes they're less valuable, and sometimes they're way more valuable, depending on the speed of the format. Um, but I always say the vanilla test is the place to start when evaluating a creature. Like if and if it doesn't pass the vanilla test, like say it's a it's a two three for five or something like that. Well, then you have to look at the text box and be like, okay, well, I'm I'm obviously not getting my value in the vanilla world, so it better have a, a really good effect if I'm going to be playing this card. And typically cards like that will have a pretty good effect on the board if, if their vanilla cost, uh, cost to stats ratio is, is bad. They'll have a pretty good effect on the board. Um, but that's always where you want to start. Always, always, always is look at the mana cost as opposed to its stats are you getting good value there? If yes, or if even, then you can move on to the text box and be like, okay, well then what effect does this have when I play it? Um, and again, you want to be looking for cards that affect the board. Uh, and that goes with your creatures as well. Stuff that can swing the game in your favor, stuff that says, you know, I must be answered right now uh, are great great cards that that's what makes a good card from a bad card in limited is does it even force your opponent to deal with it right away uh those are fantastic cards when your opponent has to answer something right away or else risk just the game getting completely out of control yeah that's a good way of putting it um what do you rank i i guess keeping on creatures what do you rank more important on their abilities like flying death touch lifelink vigilance oh that's so hard. where do you where do you rank those <laughs> i know it, it, and i know it depends on the format too, it does but... and and it depends on stats it depends on the format it depends uh, on a lot of things but there are some that are obviously more about going to be more valuable than others others um keywords that give evasion are always super powerful and limited uh, so cards with flying, I mean, there's always, there's an archetype in every format that's, that's a skies deck, you know, just something that's a lot of flying creatures. Um, so flying, I think would be, if not the most important, it's right up there. Um, trample is usually pretty important, uh, just cause a lot of times in limited since, since creatures are more valuable, the board is going to get clogged up fast. So you, you want ways to punch through damage where you can. Um, and on the ground, that means stuff like uh, Menace can be important or Unblockable. Uh, if the stats are really good on that can be very important. Um, stuff that's more towards the middle middle of the road, uh, First Strike and Death Touch um, and Lifelink, I think, would be towards the middle of the road. They can be very good. Um, they can be kind of mediocre to just okay. Um, and then the ones that are more difficult are stuff like Double Strike. Um, let's see. What am I missing here? Hexproof. Hexproof. Well, Hex... Skulk now. Menace. Yeah, and Skulk, you know, stuff that's more of a... I mean, Skulk is hard because that's a new one that we haven't gotten to work with much. And Skulk's got some... Yeah. 
Hey, I don't. I, I honestly don't think it's that good, except for on a couple of different creatures. Um, but uh, yeah, any of the ones that give evasion are going to be the ones you want to prioritize. I forgot about hexproof, but hexproof is is pretty pretty good and limited. Uh, oh, and there's reach, reach too. Reach is super powerful because again, people a lot of people are going to be focusing on evasion creatures. So when you've got something with reach, like any of the spiders, uh, in every set it seems like there's a spider that has reach, and in every set it seems like that card is a very high pick, or you know a mid to high pick. Uh, Netcaster spider being one of the more recent ones that I found, I would just take even third or fourth pick, just because I just wanted them. I wanted all of them um, to to help you shut down the skies. So. Oh yeah, like one of my favorite spiders to pick in um shadows is Watcher in the Oh Web. gosh, yeah. Uh, two five and can block an additional seven creatures. Oh that card is nuts. That card is absolutely nuts. Yeah. I, I pick And it's a common I'll take all of them. <laughs> like I, I was it's yeah. a five drop, but I will take all of them. <laughs> yeah, he's only there to block. I don't give a crap. Exactly. You know? and, and I mean that's that's the most important thing is well not I've one of the more important things is how well is this thing going to block as well as attack? Because when the game is decided virtually every time by creature combat as opposed to spells, you really got to be thinking about, you know, how are my creatures going to line up against my opponent's creatures? Do my creatures block well? Um, and certain keywords are better for that, you know, like stuff like Death Touch. Uh, if you are a more defensive deck, then Death Touch actually goes up in value a lot um for you because you know you want your little creatures with death touch to trade off with your opponent's bigger creatures that they may not want to trade with uh and and that can create some some stalled out boards uh board states and give you time to kind of recoup yourself so it is very situational um but on a whole i would say the evasion keywords are are definitely more powerful than the other ones oh yeah definitely um, you know what card? There's been one card that has helped me win so many games in Shadows that, that every time that I draft, and that's Inspiring Captain. Yeah, I like that guy a lot. I always pick him if he's open, and no, no, and everyone seems to ignore him at my shop. I have no idea why. There was um one one deck or one time I managed to draft four of oh, them, but I only gosh. put like two or three in the deck. Yeah, because four was a bit much, but putting two or three was just perfect. Yeah, and and he fits right on. I mean, there's there's an archetype that just wants all of him, and I think it's the green white deck wants him all the time. You know, just any any deck that's going to want creatures that beat down wants inspiring captains all day long. I I, I don't pass him typically. If if I see him in the pack, I'm going to snap him up. Um, it's it's a card that I value very highly that some people do not, but I do value that card very highly. Yeah, I just sent you a um link to my latest draft deck that I went three and zero on. And um, yeah, my first my first pick at a pack one pick one was Seasons Pass. Oh, sexy. <laughs> yeah. So if, if you look at my deck, I managed to use it in two of the rounds. And it was it's, when I cast it, my opponent was just like, "What the fuck? You just got everything yeah, back, yeah, buddy." Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, I like this deck. Look at you! You got yourself a uh, a 
Air of Falconroth in here too, a cursed witch. Oh yeah, this is solid, dude. I like this. Oh yeah, it it went very very well, and um, it and I've noticed with this format, it's really hard to push that third color. Yes. But um, that's why I had Loam Dryad and Cryptolithrite in it to try to, to make in case I was like getting land screwed without a swamp or plane or anything like that's that. That's a good call. It's a good call. And but you are definitely right. I, this format is is very hard to play that third color, and I I don't know why it, it is in limited as opposed to in constructed, where it seems like there's no difference at all whatsoever. But uh, I think <laughs> it's just the fact that we don't have the kind of manifesting that we've been having in limited. Um, and, you know, typically two color decks have always been more powerful in limited just because you're shooting for consistency. Uh, so yeah. the fewer colors that you can have, the more consistently you're going to draw the right colors of mana on time, the more likely that you're going to curve out properly. And in essence, the more likely you are to win from that state. Yeah. One of the things that, took me a little bit to I guess understand and draft that limited games are a lot longer than constructed yes, games. Typically. In terms of Yeah, yeah, most of the time. Unless you just get really lucky and get draft this really awesome aggro deck. But most of the time games are gonna go on a lot longer, typically. And um one of the things that was hard for me was actually picking creatures that may have mana cost of five or six. And thinking like, well, I'm never going to use this if I pick them up. But you don't realize that some of those higher costing creatures, holy crap, they win you the game. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, absolutely. You need a curve topper. I mean, that's, that's just going to be true in every limited format. Now, I mean, there are limited formats where the format is super fast. And um, the creatures might be a little bit smaller as a result. And you may not have time to cast your bigger bombs. But... Typically, every limited format is going to be just a hair slower um, than constructed, and it's going to mean that you know your games are going to go a little bit longer. Um, people's decks aren't as powerful as their constructed decks, so they're not hitting with as much force. Um, so yeah. you're going to have time to develop a little bit, uh, and and you can afford to put some of your bombs in there. Now that doesn't mean you should go crazy and just draft like every five or six that you see. I mean, you, you definitely, <laughs> no. you definitely still want to have a curve or you're going to get run over real quick. Um, but I've found having, having two to three to four, uh, curve toppers at five, six, seven, somewhere in there, uh, doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt that bad. It just, it, it really just depends on, you know, what's open, how fast is the format, there's a lot of analyzing that goes into a, a, a like if if you're doing a competitive draft, there's a lot of homework you got to do before you do that, man. <laughs> Just oh, let, like um, what kind? Because I've never done um a draft in a comp rel event. The bi the biggest thing I can say is just know know your format. That's that's the most important thing. So your homework really is like, all right, I need to start getting a hang of, you know, how many combat tricks are there on this, in this format? What colors have uh, the best removal? Um, what are the most powerful removal spells? What are some of the more powerful creature spells? Uh, you know, how fast is this format? Can I afford to draft a slower deck? Do I need to try to draft an aggro deck? Um, but 
and where it comes in handy the most is then you can kind of figure out what your opponents have drafted, you know, cause if you know, like if I sit down, if I'm, if I do my homework and I say, okay, there are, let's say in my, in this hypothetical set that I'm coming up with, there are 10 viable combat tricks, like just okay. 10 really good combat tricks. Okay. That's great. Uh, and half of those combat tricks are in, let's say red. All right. So I sit down across from my opponent after we draft for game one and I see him open up on mountain mountain. Well, immediately in my head, I got to be thinking about, okay, I got to watch my trades from now on because if he's in red, he's got access to such and such and such and such, uh, combat tricks. And I got to keep my eye open for that and play around those as best I can. So doing your homework in limited, you have an advantage where you're basically, you're all on an even playing field. You all know what cards are in the set. You all know what could have been opened and you can typically figure out a little bit easier. Uh, what's what might be in my opponent's hand here. Um, so that, I mean, that's the, anytime I go into a competitive REL limited event, I always, always, always spend at least two days ahead of time going over the set, making sure I remember what cards go where, what are, what's the stuff I need to have my eye open for uh, once I sit down for round one. I mean, and that's another thing that I guess I never really thought of. You have to know like every single card in the set and what it does. I mean, you may not have to know every single card because, you know, there are obviously some cards that are just so bad that you can't even play them in limited. So you can just throw those right out the window and you don't even have to think about those. But, uh, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, it, it pays. I'll tell you what separates a good competitive limited player from a bad one is the guy that takes the time to learn the set just in and out through and through knows every card that could that could be in his opponent's hand because he just knows every card that's in the set and it takes a long time i mean i start i start my limited mind going as soon as uh as soon as a uh, spoiler season starts i'm already memorizing cards just because that's just what i've trained my mind to do because i've i play so much limited it's like i've i've just trained my mind to start memorizing cards and uh and it is infinitely important when it comes to competitive limited play oh wow yeah i can't i can't do that i'm the type of person that i need to actually draft a set first before i start you know understanding all the all the you know nuances and archetypes that can go into it no i mean that's and and i'm not saying that that's really what i'm going for when, when spoiler season comes out i'm more memorizing cards in general like what are the Oh, I see. What colors are they? What are their mana costs? Um, Just in general. I mean, the nuances and the the archetypes and everything else, sometimes they're easy to see in spoiler season. Yeah. Um, But there are certain ones that you would have, like, just never guessed that that would be as good as it was until you sit down and actually draft it and play with it. Yeah, like um, Shadows of Rinnestrad, for example, Vampires and Werewolves, that's an easy one. Yeah, those are easy. Always, do. I mean, and that was the same in original Innistrad too. You know, Vampires and Werewolves yeah. were both very powerful, uh, and they are exactly the same here. Um, one that is not quite as easy to pick out, I would say, would be like the, the green-blue mid-range uh, archetype. Very, very powerful, um, and and, you know, wasn't 
blatantly obvious when the set first came out that that was going to be a, a powerful deck, but it's very powerful. What um, what archetype is that? I'm not familiar with the that green one. blue. Uh, you're shooting yeah. mostly for uh, a lot of the the powerful green werewolves uh, combined with some of the blue uh, oh some of the blue madness bounce uh, and stuff like that. Basically, it's basically a tempo deck. Oh, okay. it's it's a it's a green blue tempo deck um, that relies on flipping an early werewolf and then basically just keeping it alive and keeping your opponent's board clear. Um, but it's powerful, man. I, I like drafting that deck a lot. Mostly just because yeah, I, the green werewolves are so good in this set. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, yeah, uh, this, that's all I can really say. It's like, yeah, yeah. they are. I mean, they're just... Oh, man, especially like if you get a Duskwatch recruiter. Oh, God, oh, God forget about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's bad enough at how good he is in Constructed, but damn. Yeah. No, he's he's nuts. I mean, he's absolutely nuts. Uh, and that's another thing, too, is that a lot of times, uh, at least this is something I've found. I don't know if you've found this as well. There will be cards that are super powerful and Constructed that in Limited are just kind of meh. Like, just aren't good. Oh, yeah. And then there are some cards that are just completely unplayable and Constructed but are absolute bombs in Limited. Just like I want them all day long. I, you know, there's a good example of shit. I think it was Journey into Nyx. There was a card that helped me win. See if I can find it because I still. Here we go. It was Spawn of Thraxis. I don't know that card. Wow, that's one that I don't know. Spawn. Of yeah, look it up, and it it's absolute trash and constructed, but God, did that card not help me win so many games of... Oh, limited. yeah, this guy. Yeah, I mean, I, totally. It's, uh, I mean, do you want to read the card off in case anybody doesn't remember what it does? Yeah, sure. Spawn of Thraxis, it is a five generic, two, two mountain cost, so seven altogether, it's a flying 5-5 five, five dragon. When Spawn of Thraxis enters the battlefield, it deals damage to target creature or player equal to the number of mountains you control. Yeah. So that's pretty that's pretty powerful and um, limited. And constructed at the time, uh, when Journey came out, yeah, that card was trash. Yeah. It was complete bulk rare. No, no one was playing anything like that expensive at the no, time. No, I mean seven seven mana was just completely unheard of during during that standard season. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, say you're doing a mono red or maybe a two colored, you know, deck in limited, and by the time you get up to seven mana, you're gonna have a good number of mountains by then. And that's the other thing about limited too is cards that care about land types get more powerful in limited because, uh, especially if it's basic land types because that's all you usually have i mean it's not like you're playing dual yeah. lands that aren't mountains you know if you're playing red mana typically you are playing that off mountains so i mean that effect is going to be more powerful there too oh yeah definitely um yeah man so what have you been thinking of um the shadows over innistrad limited format so far uh i like it you know it's not original innistrad was probably one of my favorite limited formats that i've ever played i mean it was it was so much fun 
there were so many really good decks uh, and crazy strategies that just went off the wall, like the uh, the spider spawning deck, um, and uh, some crazy decks like that. And it was just it was really cool having uh, these transform cards for the first time as well. Um, I don't have that same feeling of this is the best thing ever when I'm playing Shadows Over Innistrad Limited. Uh, but I do enjoy it, and I enjoy the decks that I've drafted, and, and I've got, a, I, f I think, a pretty good handle on where the format is uh, and what what is good. Um, once I reach that point with a limited format, I, once I can say that I, I've kind of got an idea of what, what decks are good versus what decks to kind of try to avoid, um, then I, I feel like I've I've pretty much reach the point where I can make a judgment call on the format. And, and I do like it. I, I do really like this format, but it's not, it's not my favorite. Um, and if it ever came back on magic online as like a flashback draft or something like that, I'd probably play it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't play more than a few matches of it. It's just kind of, it's, it feels like more of the same stuff that we've always had. Just, uh, just with some, some cool things thrown in here and there. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I can see where you're coming with that. I find it... I'm having more fun with it than I did with the Battle for oh, Zemekar limited yeah. format. Because that one, I just felt so um, constricted, where it's either you're either going to draft allies or you're going to draft Eldrazi, yeah. or you're going to make some weird combination that's just not going to work well. Right. And, and that was, I think, one of the bigger problems with uh, Battle for Zendikar was that that's... That format was so synergistic, but it was synergistic for literally two decks. I mean, you were either an Eldrazi deck, I mean, you were a colorless deck, a Devoid deck, an Eldrazi deck, or you were an Allies yep. deck. And you were, you were pigeonholed into one of those slots. I mean, the actual gameplay was really fun, um, but the, the limited process was not nearly as fun as, as Shadows is. Just because Shadows, it does feel way more wide open. Uh, there are lots of viable decks, lots of viable strategies, um, and there's there's a lot of fun to be had with a really diverse format like that. Yeah, and I don't know if you agree with this that um, I like I said, I've only drafted Shadows maybe a handful of times by now, but I get the feeling that um, Blue just doesn't seem very good right now <laughs> in draft. I mean, it's it's always more of a support color. It's like it's not one of the dominant colors on like the other four. Your powers of observation serve you well. Uh, yeah, blue <laughs> blue is not very good, and that's a that's an interesting thing to say because it's very rare that blue is not one of the more powerful cards. I'm um, colors, excuse me, um, within a format, but but blue definitely kind of takes a back seat here. I mean, there are some powerful things that blue does there are some great cards in blue uh but it is totally a support color there's no i can't think of a definitive blue art like just straight up blue archetype in uh in shadows that i would want to draft um i know that uh marshall sutcliffe I, I watch a lot of his draft videos he's one of the guys i i respect most in the limited community um He's been all about this uh, this blue white deck recently. Um, he's been oh, yeah. drafting the hell out of that deck and and doing very well with it. 
but but blue is not the primary color in there. I mean, it's a, it's a white skies deck that has uh, has some blue in it to support. But but you're right, blue is not very powerful. Uh, it has taken the back seat, and you know I'm I'm not too upset about that. <laughs> I don't think there are too many people that are too upset about that. But no, and I guess, I guess that happens from time to time because Battle for Zendikar Green definitely took a back seat <laughs> until um until oath came out oath oath made green a little bit more viable well you but, could finally at least like, draft it like you couldn't even draft yes. it in battles <laughs> if you drafted green in battle over uh, in battle for zendikar you just knew you were walking out of there with an 04 record that night because green was just unplayable it was almost unplayable yeah pretty much it was depressing <laughs> like it was it was straight up depressing for for it to be that for the power level to be that disparaging because i mean there's always a color that's going to be the weakest color i mean there's never there hasn't been a limited format that i can think of where every color was just as powerful as the other one there's always going to be one color that that kind of takes the back seat but in battle for zendikar man green didn't just take the back seat green fell out of the back of the bus and rolled down the street a little ways you know um but but blue here blue in shadows has definitely been the one to kind of take the back seat but there are some super powerful blue cards that if i see them and it's late in the pack i do not mind moving in on blue if i see certain cards for sure oh yeah definitely um what's that one draft thing what is it um now let me let me ask you if this is still viable is bread still viable in draft bread that is a term i have not heard before oh okay it's um bread is a acronym in draft stating b stands for bombs r stands for removal e for evasion a for aggro d for duds but, but basically what you want to try to when you're looking at your pack what you want to sort of pick first okay uh... so do you want to pick the bombs first or then, then once all the bombs are taken, you want to go for removal. Then you want to go for evasion. Then aggro, and then you know duds are obviously you're gonna always have duds. Yes, yeah, you're going to because I mean, look, you draft until every card is gone. So I mean, even the basic land. So I mean, you're gonna yeah. have some cards in your deck that I mean, cards in your draft pool that are not gonna make the cut for your deck. I mean, that's just a, a guaranteed thing. Um, I would say that that bread is still a thing because i mean there's definitely something to be said for uh i mean removal is definitely i think one of the most important thing if not the most important thing in limited um but bombs bombs are how you win i mean especially if it's a bomb that affects the board so i i would say that bread is still a thing i've never I mean, I have never heard the term, but I just think that was probably because it was just never taught to me that way. But it, but oh, okay. it is, uh, I mean, I was still kind of taught in the same manner. And um, it's one of those things that you can, you can intuit on your own uh, just based on card, uh, card power level. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd say that's still a thing, and I think that's a good way of approaching a pack. I really do. Uh, unless Unless you come to a pack where the bomb is off color <laughs> like if you're in pack three uh i mean i would say pack one pick one and and all of pack one and possibly into pack two 
you could go buy bread and you would be a very, very good drafter. But when it comes to pack three, man, if you're in like hardcore green black and you open that Archangel Avison, uh, you might want to forgo the B in bread at that point and pick something different. <laughs> yeah. So that leads to another question. And this is something that I still struggle with um, sometimes is deciding on colors that you're going to, you know, stick with. Because usually for the first pack, um, I, I normally pick whatever's good, whatever, you know, if I see a good black card on my first pack or, you know, first pick, I'll, I'll pick that. And then, oh, it's a good white card. Oh, this is a good green card. And I'll have all five colors or something until, you know, I start seeing what's open, what's left. I'll start focusing on mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you approach that? Uh, in a very similar way. I, I don't go quite as far as to as to go all five colors. Um, but the first pack really is about, you know, what's good here. Uh, and you can start to also kind of make some towards the middle of pack one, you can start to get an idea of what's going to be open just based on what's been passed to you. Uh, but for your first couple of picks, uh, I would definitely just take the most powerful card out of the pack. You know, uh, you want to keep yourself open. You want to keep yourself available to move in on a color as soon as you know that it's open. Um, so keeping yourself available is never a bad thing. Um, so for your first couple picks, just taking the most powerful card, I don't think that's a bad strategy at all. Absolutely not. Uh, there are some other strategies. Like, I, I know guys that will just lock in on a color. Um which, you know, can serve you well because it means that you're going to draft a more consistent deck than the person that tries to, that stay, maybe stays a little too open uh, and winds up with a whole bunch of colors uh, that they can't feasibly play. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you definitely don't want to lock, you, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself too early and pack one into what color yeah. you're going to be. Um, yeah, especially if, and you definitely don't want to announce it to the no. table either, because then you're going to get fucking screwed. Absolutely. There's always the one guy. There's that one jerk at the table that as soon oh. as, like, like if you go, oh, man, and everybody at the table goes, what, what? And it's like, oh, I just opened Archangel Avacyn, blah, blah. Oh, you know, there's that, like, one asshole who's sitting a couple of seats down from him. He's like, well, I'm cutting the hell out of white now. He's not going to see a single white card come my way. It's <laughs> Well, in, in in that asshole's defense, you kind of oh, have yeah. to. You don't want you don't want Avison to be viable, especially for him. if it's in competitive. Like if if I yeah. saw that, I would absolutely cut white. I would be like, I'm going to move in on white right now because I don't want him to have a solid white deck. Yeah, and I've done that plenty of times to people where it's like I know because you know you get the the chatters like, oh yeah, I'm picking nothing but red and black cards. Okay, yeah, all right, cool. cool. I'm gonna start picking those too, so you don't get them especially if you see those really good um removal cards in those colors you're just like nope and, I'm and we all know that there are certain colors that just have more powerful removal and red and black are typically those colors you know so i yeah. mean if 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 red and black are powerful enough you know it it doesn't it's not going to hurt you to take a, a powerful black removal spell especially if there's nothing else in the pack that really looks good for you um it's never going to hurt you to take the most powerful card in the pack. Uh, I would definitely, you know, the deeper you get into the draft, you really want to look and say, okay, is there anything in this pack, 
even if it's not quite to the power level of this other card, that would do really nicely in my deck, like a solid creature, a solid curve-filling creature, or like a, a, a maybe not a top tier, but a nice finisher, um, a piece of removal that may not be as efficient as as some of them, but it, but would go really well in your deck. Um, take stuff that's going to go well in your deck over the most powerful card once you get later into the draft. Uh, but at the beginning, I, I think it's one of the better strategies to keep yourself open and just take the most powerful card out of the pack for your first few picks, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the other things I cannot stand with drafting with other people, you probably get this too, especially when you have some newer mm. people on the table, is you'll get that one asshat who says, I can't believe this was passed to me. <laughs> Why did someone just not take this? Like, well, not everybody is as awesome as you are at Magic, all right? <laughs> and that's the, you know, and it's funny, like, I found that, you know, I, I am very lucky that I go to a shop with some absolutely fantastic limited players. And a lot of times when we start doing that kind of chatter, it is to really get in each other's heads and, and be like, you know, oh, what, what, did he, what did I pass to him? Did I do that? Did I pass him something? You know, like it's, and a lot of it is just mind games, but, but yeah, you always do get that one guy who like thinks he's, he's, you know, the God of limited and he's like, Oh, I've got, I've got the read that, you know, name X card here is the most powerful card in the set. And Oh God, I, I here, I got one 10th pick. I can't believe this would still be in the pack, you know, and he feels the need to announce that to show his, uh, his prowess in drafting. And then you just get to just like slam him later in the in the night when you get to play against him. So that's kind of fun. But oh, I've I've done that many <laughs> times to people. Where um, God, I remember this one guy. He like I ju I just brought my friend over to draft, and he'd never drafted before. And you know, and you know how new players are; they usually take a lot longer to oh, pick. Sure, and I could tell cards, people were getting. Man. I mean, that's all. Yeah, and I and I know people were getting frustrated, and I just told him like hey just calm down he's new you know he's still trying to understand it all and this one guy just like getting pissed off i'm just like oh god here we go and so i go up against him in the first round and just annihilate <laughs> him i think it was i think this was an origins draft or something and just he and i i don't consider myself that great of a limited player like i feel like i'm good but not like that mm. great but um but he he considers he, this guy considered himself a really good limited player, and I just annihilated him, and he just threw his deck away <laughs> after round one. Just like, are you kidding me, man? Really? So like you're gonna act like that? You always, you always like get he, one. You always get that child. <laughs> he he bent his cards and threw him in the trash. Wow. Just oh god, just yeah. Yeah, you get. I, I don't get. And it. and honestly, like I think you see more egos in limited than you see even in constructed uh just because there's there's a lot of pride there like there's limited is not easy draft is not easy it, it's hard and it's if you think that you're at a point where you're pretty decently good at it and there's there's some pride there so to get absolutely smashed it 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 stings a little but there's still no reason to act like that i mean that's just that's just piss poor human behavior <laughs> pretty much um 
what I usually the, the way that my mindset goes for draft is sort of how I put my mindset into work. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm gonna make it work somehow. <laughs> so, sort of like that um that deck I sent you when I when I opened up that season's pass, I'm like, this is gonna be terrible, but I'm gonna do it anyway. You know, and sometimes a lot of a lot of times actually, I'll, I'll say some of the best limited players in the world, that's just how they approach it. Like you know, like this isn't gonna be good, but I'm gonna make it work. <laughs> Like if you ever watch, I, I would encourage you and your listeners, if you want to get better at limited, uh, go watch some of LSV's videos. He does draft breakdowns uh, on Channel Fireball. Um, and he, you'll see him open a pack and it'll have like this terrible bomb card in it. Like one that you would never think to play. And he's like, no, we're doing it. I'm taking this thing. <laughs> I, I'm taking this clone legion. You know, we're going we're gonna to make this happen right now. We're going to draft the, the mono blue clone legion deck, you know, just like something horrible and he makes it work. And then you go and do it on magic online and you're like, well, this is just, this is terrible. <laughs> like, but, but yeah, no, a lot of times you kind of got to just say, Hey, I, I want to try something here. And, and limited gives you a unique place to try that from, I think. Cause there are, there are interactions that you're going to find in limited that you just won't find anywhere else. Like, with seasons past, it's way easier to make that card work in limited than it is in constructed. Just because you're drawing, I mean, you've got less cards to go through, and you're drawing a curve usually, and that curve yep. winds up in your graveyard. So you wouldn't think that it'd be as powerful as it is, but it is so good in limited. Yeah, you know what card that I'm finding really good in Shadows? Shambleback. I've... You know, a lot of people have been down on that card, and I've always been kind of iffy on it, but I like the fact it, it gives you everything you want. You get a body, and, and it picks something out of their graveyard, especially if they've got cards like Seasons Past. Uh, stuff like Shambleback can be very helpful. So I'm I'm not as down on it as a lot of people in the limited community are, and, and, and I do. I'll, I'll take it. I'm not afraid to have at least one in my deck if I'm drafting black. Oh, really? People are down about it? I mean, may maybe I'm only biased about it because it's helped me in two limited tournaments before. So, yeah. Or two, two limited FMs. I mean, so. I think people are just, I mean, the, the people that I listen to uh, who I consider very good limited players and some of the guys at my shop, um, they've, they've been down on the card just because it doesn't, it, it doesn't do a lot. Uh, it's a nice, it's a very nice tempo play. And if you draft the deck that, that wants that tempo play, um, then it's not a bad pick at all to have one or two of. But it's it's not there there are cards that you would rather have in that slot for sure. Oh yeah. So definitely. I I think that's the thing that people are like, you know, I, I would kinda just rather have a creature in that slot than a than a spell that I have to cast and, and something could go wrong to get me the two two body. Um but uh yeah, so I mean it's I'm I'm definitely not I'm not convinced that it's bad. Like some people have just said it's straight up bad, don't play it. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is still a tempo play. You're still getting two two worth of stats here. So it's it's not it's not a bad play, I don't think. And then plus you gain two life too, while I always I've always found that life is a lot more important and limited than constructed. Yeah, it it is. Where it it's a lot harder to get that life back and incidental life gain is, is not something that you find in limited a lot and, and big life gain 
can actually just, I mean, can swing the game in your favor so fast. Um, that's why life, like earlier when we were talking about keywords, uh, lifelink is really hard for me to diagnose just because in a lot of situations, like a big lifelink swing can just instantly put the game in your favor and you just won't lose it just be, just because life gain is, is not something that happens very much in drafts. So to have a big lifelinking creature or, uh, or I'll give you a, a good example here from, um, Battle for Zendikar. Remember the uh, Awaken card, uh, Undo Rising. Undo Rising. Uh, let me I look think it, it up. was uh, what was the mana cost? One, one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, all yeah, your I creatures that. get lifelink until end of turn, and then it had Awaken. What was it? Awaken three and a white, I think, or four and a white. Yeah, four, four and, and a white. white. Yeah, like that card was actually a very high pick. Uh, in a, in a lot of circles that we did testing for for competitive REL uh, limited, that was a that was a high pick. We we wanted that card just because even though it seems like that that effect is not very good, the board stalls that you got in Battle for Zendikar were so you you just had board stalls so often. So to swing that board stall by making a huge life linking attack could just instantly put the game uh, back in your favor. So, yeah, life life gain can be very, very, very good in draft. Yeah, no, I I, I know I had one deck um, that I drafted. Oh, I don't remember what set it was, where I won just by gaining too much life. <laughs> uh, like I got up like over thirty life, and they're just like, yeah, let's just go on the next nah, game. It's... Like, okay, <laughs> hey. Oh, uh, w I, I w. Not, <laughs> yeah pretty much i don't remember what deck at all it was at all but it was pretty nice um that's hot yeah man so hold on let me send you a link to something so i'm gonna send you a link it's gonna be a booster pack okay. and i need you to pick out the first card and uh, should i tell you what set it's from before i send you the link uh um, i wouldn't yeah just just Pop it over to me. We'll see. This this will be fun. This will be fun. All right, all right. You're you're probably gonna hate me for this, but it's gonna be funny. Okay. I promise you. All right. I I I am ready. Let's see. All right. I sent it to you. Here we go. Loading. Loading. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh boy. Do you know what set this, this is? is? A, this is either alpha or beta, right? Is this alpha? This is yeah. alpha. Yep, alpha. Yeah, back in the uh, in the glory days of limited, when all of your creatures were uh, a three three was giant. <laughs> I mean, it was. Oh yeah. Was did they draft back then when yeah, alpha man. came out? I mean, limited's been around since basically the beginning of Magic, and and obviously people oh, okay. have gone back and drafted this set after that, and uh, it's. Man, it, there are cards in here that you would think would just be absolutely horrific that in alpha beta draft are like insta first picks, and most of them are three threes. <laughs> as sad as that is. Yeah, so if so before you choose your pick, you're you're probably gonna pick something smart. If this was me drafting, 
I'd pick the taiga. Well, the dual I mean, let, let's just be perfectly honest here. I don't think any of us would disparage you for that, and I would probably do that as well because I'm poor. <laughs> and yes. the taiga would definitely be a pack, a pick that I would take instantly. I would probably go trade it in for a bayou or something. Yeah, yeah. Because God, <laughs> <sighs> God, it's like it's like I said. I was I'm building legacy elves. I can go and buy. The, the lands are pretty much all I need that are left, that are the expensive. I'd go and buy the lands right now. My wife would not be fucking no, happy with me not. at all. I, I know that I would be oh, on the streets. God. I would be on the streets. Not not because, like, <laughs> I don't have the funds, but because she would be like, you spent how much on cardboard? Yeah, you're sleeping outside. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I am not looking forward to those Gaia's cradles when I finally buy yeah, them. Yeah, that's oh, gonna man. that's gonna hurt. <laughs> that's gonna yeah. hurt. So, just to briefly go over the cards here in this pack, um, I'm just gonna say the names to do all the abilities. Are gonna take mm -hmm. a while. So, the, so the first one is Taiga, which is a dual land, green and red. Next one, Ivory Cup. Then, what is that? Stone Giant. Uh, Stone Giant. Is it yep. next? Yeah. Then Sanger Vampire Dwarven Warriors. Oh shit! What's the name of this? Uh, Shanadin Dryads. Shanodin. Shanodin Dryad. S H A N. Yeah, Shanodin Dryads. Yeah. And then, God, the text on this is bad. Phantasmal Terrain. Mm -hmm. Um, Circle of Protection Red. Um, fuck, I can't read. It's something Ironborn Minotaur. Minotaur. Oh, Ironborn. No, okay. I'm sorry. Fureborn. Fu Fureborn Minotaur. F F U R B O N. Fureborn. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, then Fire Breathing, um, Drudge Skeletons, Lanawar Elves, which is terrible. Everybody knows that one. <laughs> In Invisibility, uh, Mons Goblin Raiders, and Grey Ogre. So if you had to choose you know, the first card, like an actual draft, not just money okay. pick. So if this is pack one, pick one. Um, well, I can tell you right away from what limited experience that I have had drafting really old sets. And I will say that I've never drafted alpha. Uh, I've had conversations about drafting alpha um, with people who have done it. Uh, and so I know somewhat of what you're looking for. Um, the cards that immediately just jump out at me, uh, are Sangre Vampire, uh, Stone Giant and Circle of Protection Red. Um, Circle of Protection Red was one of the better Circle of Protections. Uh, and there was a whole cycle of these, if I'm not mistaken, for every color. Uh, yeah. and basically the, the circles, they all just prevent, uh, they all have this ability is one prevents all damage from whatever color source, uh, the, the circle of protection is. And if a source deals damage to you more than once in a turn, you must pay one mana for each time to prevent the damage. So basically it's, it's just a complete hoser. It's a color hoser, uh, yeah. and red was one of the more pow was one of the more popular choices for alpha drafts from what I remember. Um, 
so Circle of Protection Red would be a, a very powerful card here if I'm going to try to avoid red entirely. Um, Stone Giant is a pretty decent uh, creature. It's a 3-4 for 4. The ability is kind of meh. Um, it, you, can tap, uh, you can tap Stone Giant to give one of your other creatures flying, and then that creature... Uh, must have the same tough, uh, must have toughness less than Stone Giant's power, and it's destroyed at the end of turn. So basically, like the the flavor there is that he's like picking up one of your dudes and throwing him. So you know he, he gets <laughs> he gets flying till the end of turn, but uh, he's gonna die. So st- I mean, so uh, not for the ability, but just for the stats. Three, four, four, four is is pretty close on the uh, on the vanilla test to being a, a powerful enough creature. So the Stone Giant is up there. I think my pick would be Sangry Vampire, though. I mean, it, it's very close between Circle of Protection, Red, and Sangry Vampire. Um, but I think I would take the Vampire. 4-4 uh, flying for 5 in in this format is huge. I mean, this this is the format. Yeah. I mean, this you got to remember, this is the format where basically the most pow- one of the most powerful cards was Sarah Angel. And that was a 4-4 flying Vigilance for 5. So a 4-4 flyer for 5 is already just immaculate on the stats front. Uh, plus, it gets a plus 1, plus 1 counter each time a creature dies during a turn in which vam- uh, in which Vampire damaged it, unless the dead creature is regenerated. Uh, the text is very confusing. But basically, if this deals damage to a creature and that creature dies, um, then this creature gets a plus 1, plus 1 counter. Um, so it blocks very well. They don't want to attack into it, and it's huge. And a lot of these creatures in this set were very small and would die to Sanger Vampire. So to get those plus one, plus one counters was very simple. And once you got just one plus one, plus one counter on this guy, he was an unstoppable force in the air. Um, so I think that would be my take. Uh, and I think I would I would ship the rest of the stuff and, and maybe hope that the circle of protection would wheel back around um, and try to go black white, but uh, I don't think it would. <laughs> but I, I think yeah. I'm definitely taking the Sangir Vampire here and and shipping the pack for sure. Yeah, that that's what I thought my first pick would be too when I when I first pulled it up. It like I said, if it wasn't for the money pick dual land. <laughs> I would definitely be taking the Oh, vampire. absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah. We're if we're being perfectly honest here, I'm taking the Taiga and I'm I'm actually just leaving the shop. Like I'm just I'm just going to stand up and walk away. <laughs> well, what, but you you've got two more alpha packs. To I mean, go. that's a good point. I could walk away with three Taigas. <laughs> well, no, maybe you get a Taiga, then a Black Lotus uh, and, uh, and uh, now we're now we're thinking. Now we're and a Shiv and Dragon. Now we're cooking with gas here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, no, I just wanted to do that because I know the the sets back then were not really thought about for limited and as balanced for limited as they are Absolutely now. Absolutely not. Thought, no. thought it'd be a little fun thing because I think I've told you that I drafted limited or drafted alpha with a few friends and j- just online and it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like it would be. I mean, it, it would be fun just for like the, the nostalgia factor and the fact that it's you know, this is alpha, you know, this is it. This is the OG Magic the Gathering. But, uh, yeah, it, it seems like it would play out just absolutely horrifically clunky and <laughs> just awful. Oh, it's definitely clunky. But, um, no, it was a nice throwback because, you know, honestly, I 
I miss old school magic sometimes. It's even though I didn't play during the Alpha, I started in Urza's. It's I really like going back and looking at the old art, the old flavor text, and while I think a lot of the art today is good, I don't. It's just something about it just doesn't have that same feeling. Yeah, weren't they? Weren't they back then? Like they actually had to draw pictures within that space. It's not like computerized like how it is. From now. what I understand, that's right. I mean, it was all done pretty much to scale, right? I mean, or, or close to it. It, it wasn't computerized. Um, all yeah. of that was, you know, whatever medium. I mean, that was it. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I, you know, I was not blessed enough to be able to have played back then either. Um, I came in even even farther down the road than you. I, I my first set was uh, was uh, shards, but uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, whenever I see it, I always want to go back and play it, just because I I want to get that feeling of, you know, maybe maybe get a little taste of, you know, what was what was magic like in the early '90s, you know, when I was when I was too young to even know what it was, uh, to to or too stupid to get into it because. Fuck, I wish I got into it. Yeah, I mean, at at that point, I would have been even too young to know what I would have had in my hands. You could have put a Black Lotus in my hands, and I probably would have just shoved it in my mouth. So, yeah. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, I, 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 there is something just profoundly beautiful about the original Magic sets. Um, not just for a nostalgia reason as a player, but also just like the art is completely different. It's, beautiful it's stylized and it's it's gorgeous i i really love the old art on a lot of these cards and that's one thing that i miss about the old sets is the different artists had their own different touch and approach right um i mean a lot of people like to bring up stasis for instance while that is a very unique art and you don't see that now. It's it's a lot of it very generalized, very fan- fantasy-like. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's just very, very uh, by the book. Oh, totally. And, I mean, you can even see it even in this pack that you sent me right now. I mean, look at uh, look at the difference in art styles between um, Dwarven Warriors and uh, the original Lanawar Elves. You know, like, Dwarven Warriors is just this very stock-looking photo of a dwarf with a with a horned helmet you know but then you get to lanawar well elves and it's got like this weird pink tattoo on the side of his head and he's got like this it it just doesn't like you don't think of elf when you think of that it looks like some kind of horrible demon monster but it's uh but the art is more stylized and just gorgeous every artist had their touch which is something that's lacking now i think and even looking in visibility right yeah. there. I mean, you don't see anything like Absolutely that now. Absolutely not. And... People would look at the art for that nowadays and be like, this is this is really dumb. It's just a, it's just yeah. a guy fading into the background. But, I mean, it, there is something profoundly beautiful about that piece of art. And, and, like I said, I know it makes me sound like an old fogey, but I guess I just miss that sort of art. Like, I remember when Goblin Piledriver was announced for Origins, I was so excited they kept the original yeah. art. Yeah. Because it's just something that it makes it stand out compared to, you know, all the other pieces of art. It looks like something that was just actually drawn. You know, like a lot of the pieces of art on new magic cards just look like something you could produce using mostly a computer. 
and I, I know I've met a lot of the, the newer magic artists. Like I know that a lot of them are very good at their craft, but uh, it does usually involve a computer in one way, shape or form. But the old magic art just looks like, Hey, I drew this in my sketch pad with some colored pencils and it looks fantastic, you know, and, and we're going to put this on a card. So it's, it's just something it's different. It's not always necessarily better or worse, but it's just different. And it's nice to go back to something different every once in a while. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I could do for hours, especially when, um, when I need to organize my sets again, cause they're all conjunctified. Yep. Um, I know that feeling. <laughs> so, and usually when I get, you know, past the, when I get to the older sets, you know, eighth edition and below, um, I just, it takes me a little bit longer because I'm like, oh, look at the art on this, look at the art on that. When I don't feel like I don't do the same for a lot of the newer stuff, I'm just, I don't know. Well, it's just a lot of it looks the same. It, it looks like it was spit out of a computer somewhere. Um, not to say, again, I think those artists are all very talented and they do something that I could never do in 100 years because I don't have that talent. But But there is just something different, you know? <laughs> It's just it's just old school versus new school, and neither one is necessarily better than the other, but they definitely have their differences, and each one has their merits for sure. Oh yeah, and this is my um ADD kicking in. But you ever heard of the card Reality Twist? I've heard of the card. I've never actually seen it. I'm gonna pull it up if I'm gathering right now. Yeah, look it look it up. How funny would this card be if it didn't have its cumulative upkeep cost? This is the best EDH card. Instead of well, no, because no, they're plans produced. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, with cards like Chromatic Lantern, it sort of cancels it out. But yeah, it's, but that, um, I mean, that's that's funny. I like that. Or oh god, imagine if you know if this maybe costs two blue. I, I would play this in limited, or I mean, not limited legacy. If it was too blue, yeah, oh, man. Th yeah. Think about it; you'd fuck your opponent up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that especially if they were playing like a mono a mono colored deck like elves or something like that. Oh, oh, that would be gross. It'd be hilarious. <laughs> I would just love it, just to see their face and be like, what. What do you mean? I can't play my game. I can't play my cards now. I mean, now. we, we but, see already how bad Blood Moon just screws some people over. Now imagine doing that for everything, even your basics. Yeah, goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know that's why they have the cumulative upkeep, but that would just be too yeah, funny. Yeah, it would just be completely busted if there was no cumulative upkeep on there. But <laughs> that is cool. Yeah, you see, that's, that's the thing. Wizards doesn't like fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> They're the fun police, for sure. Pretty much. Um, so what do you think about the whole, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the whole community drama or anything. I guess, I don't know if it's really considered drama. Um, that how Wizards is pretty much sucking at their quote-unquote esports content. Yeah, well, I mean, I haven't been keeping up with any of their official like any of the official word, but but Wizards and more generally Magic in general has been a bit behind the eight ball when it comes to producing esports content. 
And and I don't know if that's just because you know, originally I would have said, Oh, it's because it's a card game. It's it's harder for people to get into watching that as an esport. But if you look at the success of Hearthstone, I think that kind of puts that to shame, you know, because Hearthstone is yeah. immensely popular a- as an esport. And well, it's also um, a lot easier to follow compared and to And that was the point I was getting to that I think, you know, Wizards, Wizards has their issues with with coverage and with esports and getting into this market. Um, but I think the biggest problem is just that Magic is not Magic is not a spectator sport unless you're a Magic player. You know, it's it's yeah. just not like my wife knows a very little about Magic. And while I can sit down for an entire weekend and watch the Pro Tour and be completely enthralled and get excited, you know, she sits down with me for 10 minutes and then and then she's up to go do something else just because she can't follow and it's boring. And I think it's hard to tap an audience, especially uh, an esports audience that is looking for excitement and looking for, you know, isn't and looking for announcers that are not like a. Uh, not like golf announcers, which it seems like most magic announcers yeah. are. They're like, and now he plays his swamp, and now he's going to draw his card, and it is, oh, look at that. He drew he drew the Doom Blade, and he's going to play the Doom Blade. You know, it's just, it's like, I could go to sleep to this. Yeah. And, and see, that's where Star City Games really shines with Cedric and Philip and e- even all their other announcers, too. They're really good. Yeah, they are. They're um, quite good. And and I'll give it to Wizards coverage team. I've mentioned his name once, but I'm going to drop it again. Marshall Sutcliffe is a great announcer, and he's a great analytics guy. Uh, he makes the game interesting. I feel like he's a much better color commentator oh, sure. in terms of, especially when he's paired up with LSV or any other pro that's really, you know, really well-spoken, you know, who can do the analytical side, you know, I mean, that's just really perfect. But I think one of the major other things that's going on with Wizards is they're not covering a lot of the GPs this year either. Oh, really? See, I missed that. Yeah, so they're only streaming, um, they're only going to stream Grand Prix when it, when a new set just comes out. So all the other Grand Prix in between are not getting any coverage except via text. Now, see, that seems like a mistake to me. That that seems like a, yeah. a super big mistake. Yeah, and, whether, and whether it's because they don't have the funds for it or, you know, whatever the excuse is, I feel like, because... Earlier this year, they announced that they want to break into the eSport. You know, that they want to become bigger, a bigger name in eSports. Well, then you're not really doing it if you can't cover cover some of your biggest tournaments that happen, you know, week to week. Right. You, you, can't, you can't expect to be you, – you can't expect to compete with a game like, like Hearthstone, which I would think would probably be Magic's greatest rival. Um in the esports community, because it's they both kind of attack the same niche of people, the people that like the collectible card games. Um, you're not yeah. going to do that if you decide, oh, we're just not going to cover our tournaments. Like, like how big would Hearthstone be if they were just like, oh, BlizzCon? Yeah, we're just not going to cover that. Uh, we'll we'll still put out a text document about what happened, but you're not going to get any video of the uh, of the tournament at BlizzCon at BlizzCon. Everybody would be like, oh, well, I guess I don't need to be watching this anymore then. 
it's just yeah yeah it's that's a huge error and like i said i don't know what their reason is whether it's you know they don't have the budget for it well then you need to make the budget if you really want to break into this genre here where you know you were saying before where magic isn't really a spectator sport you know even for players that play magic themselves if they put on a format like let's say you only play standard but then they put on you know modern or legacy most they're, they're not gonna have any idea oh, what's absolutely going on not they're gonna have no clue what's going on oh someone's playing dredge versus versus storm and they won on turn one how yeah. <laughs> what is dredge what does that even mean you know like there's yeah. there's so many you have to be so knowledgeable and so into magic to completely understand what's going on when you just turn on Twitch and watch a stream, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to bridge that market. And I wonder if wizards is just like, if at the beginning of the year when they announced, Oh, we really want to get more into esports," If they then really took a step back and a solid look at it and be like, you know what? I just don't think our game is meant for that right now until we find a better way to, you know, a, a find a, a different way, I think, to break in. I just, I don't think that they're going to be able to do it the traditional way, you know? It, the only way I can see for them breaking into it, one, is they need to cover it mm-hmm. more, and at least better. Um, they also need to figure out a way to where you're watching the game, and sort of like what they do in the Pro Tour, where they have the the people with the iPads and they're showing like what each card what what card is in each person's hand, right. you know they need that for every tournament. Oh, for sure, because yeah. that helps out so much. I mean, even for you and me who know all the cards, we have an idea of like, ooh, he may be playing the Siege Rhino next, or he may be playing you know this next. Have you ever watched? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you're really all that into Hearthstone or not, but have you ever watched any of their live events that they do when they stream those? Um, I know I did when the game first came out, but um, I I didn't I never really followed the pro scene after the game. Well, came and out. they've changed it since then. But now they show like when when you're watching a match, you can see the content of both players' hand, and it just makes it all the more exciting because like the announcers are able to get into it and be like, "Oh, he's he's making this play. He has no idea that his opponent has this in his hand. We all know it. We can see it, but he has no idea." You know, and and in magic coverage, you don't get that because even the announcers have no idea what's in the player's hands unless they're able to see them. Yeah, and you know that that makes a really good point because I can remember so many times watching Star City games, and they're like, "Oh, well, I think he just top decked a land, or I think he just top decked this." You know, I'm not even sure what's in his hand. Oh, he just played this card and he won the yeah. game. It was just where he could, where they could. If they know what's in their hands, you're right. They could just, you know, pump it up, you know, hype it up to where even the players are like, oh, shit, what's that do? Oh, fuck. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's and that's the thing. Like, and then you can talk about it as an announcer, too. You can be like, you know, if you saw every draw and we're like, oh, he just drew like I'll just I'll throw some magic names here. Like, it's like, oh, he has he, he just drew Splinter Twin. You know, he drew Splinter Twin, and he's got the Deceiver Exarch in hand. He's going to win next turn. His opponent has no idea. You know, like, you can really... Or, but his opponent has a counter yeah, spell exactly. in his hand. <laughs> and, and, the twin, and the Splinter Twin player goes down, and they should never win because Splinter Twin... Uh. But, uh, but, yeah, like, there would just be so much 
there would be so many more ways where you could drum up excitement where you wouldn't have to be so invested in knowing what's going on. You know, just just being able to give your announcers the power to kind of ebb and flow the way the, the, the viewer experience is going would would improve your stream infinitely, I think. Yeah. It's um another thing that and it's been going around forever that Wizards is working on this, but they need to work. They definitely need to work on a um, better digital client. Yeah. And I and th- this has been talked about to death from everyone that they need to upgrade it to the 21st century to where it's it's painful. I mean, not that it's bad to play. It's just painful to look it at. It is. And it, it is still painful to play sometimes, too. I mean, I oh mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Mitgo is awful, and I think there—I don't think there's a single person on this planet that would disagree with the fact that that client is terrible. Um, and I only—I only use it for drafting. I just don't play constructed on there anymore. Um, but even then, it's like, God, okay, I really want to draft, but is it worth dealing with the Mitgo client to do that? Uh, I don't know. It's it's awful. They really they need a better digital client. I I think everybody agrees with you on that. I'd even think Wizards would agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah, they just need to actually get someone to do it. But I mean, if they came out with some sort of client that rivaled Hearthstone, whether whether it just be oh this this digital client's only going to be for standard, you know, mm-hmm. just for that format and. It looked nice. It was really pretty, really polished. Hell, they could start doing all their tournaments with that. But that also starts um, eating away your paper players, though, which is something I know they don't want to do. Yeah. They don't want to alienate those. So it's it's got to be a really hard, you know, balancing act for for wizards to try to figure out. You know, we want to break into the esports market, but it's a paper card game that is really hard to follow and you can't exactly film it the best way either. No, it's, it's just, like I said, I just don't think that magic is ever going to be. I just, I think the way the game was, was made from the beginning. This, this is a game that was meant to be played in person on paper together, you know, and it's just not, it's just not going to fit the bill of an esport. You know, it's just not, um, I think we'll still get, you know, as long as they're still broadcasting pro tours, obviously those are our biggest events anyway, so they should be broadcasted for the people that love the game. But I I don't think we as Magic players and Wizards should even expect themselves to break into esports because it's just not going to happen until you create a better digital product. And maybe it's that, you know, maybe it's that they don't even do... I can't even like maybe if they had a way to make duels a, a, a way to make duels competitive or something, you know, but it, it, it needs to be something different. I think that's the only way that they're going to make any kind of a stomp into esports is that they have to do something completely different than anything that they've done in the past. Yeah. And like, like I said before, it's going to be hard because they also don't want to alienate you know, their existing player. Base. Yeah. And that's already a struggle that they have. Cause I mean, you've got, you know, there's even there's seats that you can win on the pro tour just by playing on magic online. 
you know, and you got the Mox, the Mox yeah. Championship Series. You know, there there are on they cater to their online only clientele because there is an online only clientele. As amazing at that as, as that is for how bad that client is, uh, there are there are people that strictly play Magic online. Um, so yeah. it's uh, it's already a, de- a delicate balancing act that they're doing, and as long I mean as long as their paper clientele is is larger than their online clientele, I think that they are happy with that. Um, but I think if they really wanted to get into esports, they would have to cater almost exclusively to their online clientele, and I just don't think they're ready to do that. No, I I, I agree with you there. Um, did you see that? magic documentary on netflix that entered the battlefield No, you know i heard about it and i never got a chance to sit down and watch it i was so busy that i i did not get a chance is it still up do you know it should be it's only an hour long it's um it's not too bad actually um one of the things that sort of opened my eyes was you know the quote-unquote life of a pro player holy crap do they have to play a lot of yeah it's not (laughs) easy man It, it is is, for very little pay too it's like i'm just wow it is the uh, I mean, it is the single it is the single man's lifestyle i mean it's i can't it looks like that would be so hard to do even being single and and having another job on the side but can you imagine doing that while having a family like that just oh, seems completely unobtainable i mean it's insane well they did they were interviewing um one of the guys, his name's Chris Pecula or oh, something. Pecula, yeah. yeah. And he um he has a family, you know, he has a son and all uh, that. And he he br- he briefly talked about it though, where you know he he started feeling bad because you know he'd focus on magic more than his family and stuff like that. He they didn't get too deep into it, but um I mean that'd be something I'd love to I'd love to interview him and just talk about you know how do you how do you do it how do you do that balancing act because. I've had two pro players on so far, but they're not married. They don't have family or kids or anything. And it's while they both have jobs, you know, their jobs are really lenient on letting them go to tournaments every weekend. Well, and, a, and a lot of them actually just work for companies that are that cater to professional magic players. I mean, whether yeah. it be channel fireball or star city games, you know, most of those guys work for those companies anyway. So it's not like it's that hard to get time off to go play magic when your job is magic. But yeah, I, I can only imagine that if I told my job like, Hey, I need to go play at this magic tournament. Uh, you know, it's expected of me. I got to win. They're like, Oh no, the network's down. You You can't go patients lives depend on you right now. Uh, sorry, I gotta go play yeah, magic. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that you would last long at the job. <laughs> no, I'd probably I'd probably get fired pretty yeah. quickly. But... I mean, my my job would be the exact same way if I was like, no, you know, I'm just I need to go. I I'm on the pro tour here, and I need to go a week ahead of time to to test the whole week with my team. So we're just not gonna run our irrigation pumps for a week. And uh, knock on wood, the crop stays alive. Okay, bye. Yeah. Yeah, no no problem. You won't lose that no, much money if the crop not. dies. Def- definitely not <laughs> millions and millions of dollars. Absolutely not. <laughs> nope. But it's okay. You may win um, $40,000. Exactly. And I can invest that into finding a new job. <laughs> oh, man. 
and th- that's another thing that really took me by surprise that the um the amount of prize money that pros win i i remember looking up oh well it's like they don't make a lot of money no, at all absolutely in, in, ter- in terms of just magic and um it's a, a lot a lot of the more famous ones you know they have like we said they have their side jobs you know obviously or or they make money doing other stuff like eric frolick he he's a pro poker player yeah. too so he make definitely makes money doing that but if you just tried to survive on just playing magic writing content on magic um someone just did an article about it you know the sort of the money that you make you only make about what 40 grand a year maybe if you're lucky and i mean that's if you're a top yeah. level content producer as well as player i mean that's yeah uh no i can't even imagine that and you know i think that's why uh, if you remember a couple of weeks ago with the whole the the platinum pro issue that happened yeah you know i think that's why that was such a big deal was just that like you're literally taking food off these people's table like they're they're guys that will now not be able to play magic the way they have been and be a pro the way they have been because you have taken away this huge chunk of of how they make money yeah but now they have a year to figure out what they're going to do because they said they're only going to do it for this year for any so what what are they going to do when the next platinum pro season comes along and they're not making that money they need to figure out something but should it really be up to Wizards to subsidize that cost for them? No, you know? not necessarily. But, I mean, and that I guess at that point you have to decide, or Wizards has to decide, you know, what constitutes a pro, a magic pro. You know, are, are we going to put, like, are we going to make it to the point where it's almost like a professional sport where these people are almost employees of Wizards of the Coast? If you make it, if you are a pro Magic player, then we treat you as an employee and we subsidize your salary. Or or yeah. is it going to be more the traditional sense like, yeah, you're you're a pro at this just because you're really good at winning and you, you take down the prize money and, you know, you kind of go on with your life, but it's up to you how invested you're going to be in this. And I think Wizards has kind of teetered on the edge of that for so long that they, they've got to fall one way or the other. Either they're going to make it where their pros are almost their employees or, you know, just let the pros kind of, the quote-unquote pros, kind of figure out their own way and, and let magic be a hobby as opposed to a job, you know? Yeah, and it's... It's tough because we can say all this stuff like, oh, they need to do X, Y, Z. But, I mean, it's in the end, it's really up to Wizards what they want to oh, do. Yeah. I mean, they, they could almost do – God, what's an example of a game? Um, shit, well, if they just, you know, kept up with just releasing standard, balancing standard, but they give, you know, the actual quote-unquote pro – seen a way to like star city games or something where hey let's actually get some teams built up let's get some sponsors um you know because that's one of the big things lacking in terms of funding if they had really big name sponsors for these teams you know and they give them salaries and stuff like look at starcraft for example um and while while the um money in starcraft isn't that much but at least StarCraft will attract, you know, sp- sponsors like Razer, um, 
NVIDIA, AMD, and, you know, a lot of the PC makers. But Magic doesn't have any of that. What can they do to get sponsors like that? I know Ultra Pro is a sponsor. And then you'll see other sponsors like other small-time Magic accessory companies. But they don't – in terms of money that they can put in, it's not a lot. And, and I mean, that's the – Again, this kind of circles back around to the esports discussion. Is that in order to get sponsors, you gotta have you gotta have interest. You have to have viewers. You have to have fans. Yeah. Uh, and in order to drum that up, you gotta get better at producing online content. You gotta get better at being an esport. Is Magic really an esport? Is can that even happen? And honestly, I don't think so. I really don't. And, and I don't think sponsored like if you're if you put two options in front of a company like oh uh, Coca Cola for ex- instance, be like, hey, do you want to sponsor this Magic team where where we play a card game in person on paper? You, we don't get a whole lot of viewers. It's not that exciting unless you're really into the game and and know what's going on. But trust me, like this is it's it's a good investment for you. Or you can invest in in this other game, League of Legends, where they get thousands of viewers from all over the world online watching. Hundreds yeah, of thousands. It's exciting. They fill the Staples Center for their championship. You know, I'm if I'm that business, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go where the viewers are, and there's just no yep. viewers in Magic. There's no unless you play the game, you're not a fan of watching the game. It's just that's just the long and short of it. Yeah, and it's it's kind of frustrating in a sense because you see a company trying to become what they oh, are. Oh yeah, totally. And it's and you know it's a lot of talk around the community. Should we even should we keep this discussion up? I think I think it's not a bad discussion, but how how much farther do we need to go? I mean, can't we just be satisfied with what we have? I, I think honestly we should be. I mean, it's 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 a fine discussion. And if I'm if I was a board member at Wizards of the Coast, I'd be like, hey, this is a discussion that we need to have every year. But we also need to understand what our game is and what the clientele that we're actually catering toward is. And to be perfectly honest, it's just not the esports community. As of right now, it's just not. Until technology catches up, I think a little bit better. And you know, we're already getting into some some technology that I think could be really cool for games like Magic. VR could be awesome for Magic. If if there was a way to play Magic Online in VR, you know, where you could where you could have a physical hand in front of you, physical table, like that there is there's a market. Like there is an esport that you could actually do with Magic that would not take away from your paper or your uh your online presence if you could find a way to port it over to VR. But, you know, like until technology catches up to the point where it makes that kind of a thing possible, it's this esports and magic just don't go together. Yeah, sadly, (laughs) it is. No, it is really sad because I love this game and I want everybody to love this game and, and I want everybody to get exposed to this game. But it's, you know, I think people get exposed to this game a lot better by being taught, seeing it played, feeling the cards in their hands, that's how they get hooked. Not watching a stream of two guys 
stare at a table in front of them and not say anything to each other and and have just like and and the announcers saying words that they have no idea what those words are you know it's just it it just doesn't translate very well and you know not just not just having two guys play but when you watch individual streamers it's boring to watch it is oh yeah totally it completely is and i'm an individual streamer and i know it's boring that's why i don't stream magic <laughs> it's like every time that i've tried to stream magic i get i just get bored i mean it's um you know i i've streamed draft i've streamed you know constructed and all that and it's i don't know to me i have a hard time playing digital magic because it's not the same it's if i want to play anything digital i'll play hearthstone yeah, exactly for and that's game. what i do i mean i just i i rarely play magic online anymore when i do it's to draft just to keep myself sharp but it's uh yeah if i'm gonna play a digital game it's gonna be hearthstone just because they've got that market cornered but if i want to play a physical card game it's gonna be magic every time just because that is just the infinitely better product like if if Hearthstone attempted to be paper, it would just be horrendous. It just wouldn't work. And yeah, it wouldn't. I at think all. I think you kind of just have to know your market. And and Blizzard did a great job in realizing that they could create a game that was designed for the digital market, and that's what they created Hearthstone for. And Magic was originally designed and has always been designed to be a physical paper game. And it is the perfection of that. Like, the if you, if let's just say you were able to make Hearthstone work in paper, it would be child's play as opposed to Magic. And the other physical card games that have come out have been child's play as opposed to Magic, like Yu-Gi-Oh! or, or Pokemon, you know? They're, they're just dumbed-down versions of Magic. Magic is the penultimate amazing collectible trading card game that you can do in physical form and it always will be it will always be the best in that genre it but i don't think it'll always be the best in the digital world just because it just doesn't translate as, as well yeah and i agree it's um i don't know so so what can we do it's um you know like i said even individual streamers like when I've seen some, uh, you know, the top pros stream on Twitch, and they barely break like 500 viewers. Maybe some of them will get up to one to two thousand, but you have some of even the lesser known Hearthstone people getting one to two thousand viewers. You have, you know, some of the top ones like Crip or Trump, you know, breaking tw fifteen to twenty thousand easily. Yeah. Th that's more than a pro tour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it just makes it just seem like geez what the fuck and i think it just it just speaks to the fact that hearthstone was created to be that you know hearthstone was created with with digital content production in mind it was created it was birthed into a world where streaming was already a thing uh yep. and it was made to be exciting it's got flashing lights it's got colorful animations it's got you know great sound effects and it's just it's a fun game to watch in a digital spectrum it was it was made for that magic is not and i don't think honestly i don't even really see it as a problem because you know we've got our market we've got our we've got our area cornered we've got a monopoly on a certain on a certain area you know when we're pulling 
five to six thousand players at GPs. Like that's pretty dang awesome. Um, you don't have Hearthstone tournaments that are that big, you know. No. So it, it even though they get more viewers, they don't have more players that come and meet together and play this game and have a community and 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 basically a family around a card game. But will that eventually kill the pro community though? Because with it, you know, especially as we were saying with it not being as profitable or you're not really making a lot of money at all if you're looking to make money in magic, you know, is that eventually going to kill it? It could. It could. I mean, I, 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 I would think that you'd have to be naive to say that, no, it, it won't kill the pro community. It could. And I think that we're starting to see the death of the pro community as we know it. Because we're not going to have platinum pros. You know, like, I guarantee you almost 100%, the guys that really go out there and grind hard for points to become platinum pros so that they can do this full time are just, a lot of them are just not going to try anymore. Because even if they made platinum, it's $250 in appearance fees. That's that's not even like the cost of the flight to get there, you know, or the, or the yeah, hotel. It's nothing. it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. So you're not going to see guys try very hard. And I think you're going to see a steep decline in the number of people that would call themselves pro magic players. And so I think we're already beginning to see the death of the pro scene as we've always known it. That doesn't mean it's going to, it's not going to, you know, be reborn into something different. Um, or that, you know, it'll just evolve into something new. But I do think that we're, we've seen the last days of the magic, of what we used to call the magic pro. And now a magic pro is going to, I think they'll always exist. There will always be a, a, a person that finds a way to make money playing this game as long as there's money to be had but yeah. it's gonna look completely different and i have no idea what that looks like yet i don't think anybody does but uh it's uh it's gonna have to change because wizards is forcing it to change by by making the rules that they have and changing the way pi uh, payout goes out for appearance fees etc they've already they've already put one of the last nails in the coffin of the of the pro community as we know it it's it's going to have to evolve. It's going to have to change. Yeah, and it's... Like you said, with them killing off the pro scene, if they do, if it does happen, where, you know, is that still going to give a lot of... Is that going to give a lot of incentive for, you know, the everyday players that think, oh, hey, you know, if I, I can, you know, top eight this PTQ or PT or whatever... Um, is that going to kill that off? Is that going to make them lose sales? Is that going to... I don't I don't think you know. it will, because I think the incentive is still there for, for the everyday Joe who wants to go and spike a tournament. Because, you know, the, the payout tournament to tournament isn't getting any worse. Like, if, if I went and spiked a GP, like, I'm still going to make decent, decent dough doing that. Yeah. So, can I live on that for an entire year? No. Uh, would I have to win lots and lots of GPs in order to win, live on that for an entire year? Absolutely. But good yeah, luck. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I'm going to stop playing the game or when, when the GP comes close to my area, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to not go out and try to spike it. But uh, I do think that you're going to see a steep decrease in the in the traveling Magic Pro, the guy that flies all over to to every GP. You know, like that's just not going to exist anymore. Yeah, probably not. Um, are you going to go to the Star City Games Open in Orlando? I'm hoping month? to. Uh, I've got uh, a group of guys from uh, from my shop up here, uh, including a couple of guys that just started playing this year that are way into going. So uh, yeah. we're building a gauntlet so I can help them run their standard decks through it. Uh, I'm I am planning to go. Even if I don't play in the main event, like the standard event, I, I, I like going to Star Cities just because they have great side events and also it's just a fun atmosphere. Um, so even if I don't play in the main event, I will probably be there for at least one day of the side events and uh, some win boxes or something like that. You know, that'll be cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I had planned to go and I was gonna start booking the hotel and everything and then i found out i gotta oh, no. work that weekend i know it's um and i tried to talk them out of it but it's a huge ordeal that's going on and just oh, uh, that's a yeah. drag man i know i was really hoping to go and i'm glad i didn't book a hotel yet because i was very oh yeah close. well then that would have felt a lot worse <laughs> yeah no, because I'd never been to a Star City Games Open. I've been to a bunch of IQs and all that, but never an actual official Open, which I think they're having another one later this year in Orlando, yes, too. Yes, from what I understand, there'll be one in, I think, the third season or something like that. Towards the end of fall, beginning of winter, somewhere in there, there'll be another one, um, which we haven't had to in the state of Florida in a year in a while, so that'll be cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try to make it to that one because... I just need to. I need to get out there. I need to go to bigger tournaments and see what's going on. Oh, it's on. fun too, man. I mean, Star City Games really knows how to throw a tournament. Um, they do a great job. I, I've never had a bad experience at a Star City. I've had some crappy things happen at Star Cities that would normally sour it, but the way that they handle it is so professional um, that yeah. it's uh, it's it's great. I've never had any complaints with when they run a big tournament. And, uh, yeah, you're going to need to get yourself out to one of those for sure. Yeah, so it looks like the next one is September 17th. Awesome. And it's going to be modern. Ooh. Ooh. I know what deck I'm going to take. <laughs> it is going to be my terrible Goblin Artifact Explosion Yeah, deck. buddy. <laughs> have I shown you no, that deck or think, have you seen it? I don't think you it? have. Here, let me send you a link to it. And I, I, I have it built and ready to go. I've only tested it online. I haven't taken it to uh, the local modern tournaments. Um, Shit, where is it? There it is. Yeah, show me this bad boy. That sounds like fun. Oh, dude, it wins by, like, turn three sometimes. Fact explosion. Let's pull this up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so gross so it's a it's a rebirth deck then yeah oh man did did i tell you that was the first like one of the first standard decks that i played actually was it called off was oh, it called really? off rebirth deck like that i actually played like competitively was uh was a rebirth deck oh man that's awesome this looks so cool i might want to run this dude <laughs> dude it's it's fun as it hell looks i mean um I would probably 
you know, I'd probably take out the Legion loyalists and put in goblin guides if I, you know, wanted to spend the money. Yeah, that on would them. be the one suggestion I would probably have there. Yeah, but Legion loyalists, it's still, it's still decent. It's it um, does its job. I mean, it's 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 an early game pressure that you can sack to goblin grenade later on. I mean, that's really all you need. <laughs> yeah, the original um build of this deck was it didn't even have any of the goblins at first it wasn't until i talked to um who was it emma handy mm -hmm. um where she mentioned like putting in the the bushwhackers and i'm just like oh my god now now it changes my entire deck here oh yeah <laughs> just put putting in the bushwhackers then goblin grenades and a tarkas command i'm still it, it's good it's it's definitely you know, if I draw it, awesome. If I don't, it I don't need it to right. win. It's just one of those, oh, dev, it'll definitely help me win. That's why I have the stomping grounds in it. And, um, yeah, man, with... it's I'm starting to almost like um, Reckless Bushwhacker more than just Goblin Bushwhacker. Well, I can understand why. I mean, with the... Uh, I mean, with the... Uh... Yeah, with the, the surge, surge cost, cost, that is... makes it just infinitely cooler. I mean, it's almost the exact same card, except you're going to get a bit of a bigger hit in, I think, with the Reckless Bushwhacker over the Goblin Bushwhacker. But having both of them is definitely a, a dangerous, dangerous combination there. Oh, yeah. So it definitely... I, I have a really good chance of winning Game 1. And just like any artifact deck, game two and three are always miserable because there's so much hate against artifacts. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's going to be until until Affinity is no longer a deck, <laughs> which, which is, is never. never. <laughs> then, uh, yeah, artifact hate is going to be out there in, in droves. But, I mean, it looks like you got a, a decent enough backup plan, uh, even if you don't hit artifacts necessarily every time i mean you can you can just win with even like swift spear into bushwhacker into bushwhacker into a tarkas command so i mean oh, yeah. like you don't even really need to hit artifacts it just makes it a little faster for uh, being able to have rebirth and everything like that oh yeah definitely it's um like you said i i haven't taken it to any official events but testing it out a lot online it's just been fun as hell it looks like it and and it's um it's nice to get some of the reaction on Cockatrice or on X Mage, where I'm playing you know turn one Dark Steel, then you know put out a Memnite and Ornithopter and a Signal Pest, and they're like, oh okay, so it's some cheap ass Affinity deck. Then turn two Kadaltha Rebirth into Bushwhacker and, <laughs> or whatever the fuck, and they're just like, wait, what the what fuck just happened? Just happened, <laughs> and why am I dead? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's one of those fun decks, but um. It's if I don't take this, it'll probably be my elf deck because elf seems to be actually better position lately. Yeah, it meta. doesn't seem like it's in a bad spot. I, I like where elves has been recently, so I wouldn't think that would be a bad choice at all. Um, I don't know, man. The more I look at this deck, the more I kind of want to take this deck too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be one of the two. It's going to be either the goblin artifact or elves. It's Grix's Delver. Ugh, I just don't feel like spending the money on the ancestral visions. Yeah, I don't blame you for God. that. I don't blame you for that at all. It's so frustrating because it's like, like I don't mind spending the money, but I don't know, man. It's, it's just, just it's just the icky feeling that you get later that like you know yeah I got this because I wanted it and it's going to be great for my deck, but it's like 
I could have spent all that money on, you know, stuff that I need for living instead of pieces of cardboard. <laughs> it, it It's not so much that I'd want the card. It's just I kind of need yeah. the card for the deck to be good. It's, it's depressing. But, uh, yeah, whatever. J- just like just like for the legacy deck with the lands i'm just uh i need them but is it oh god i don't want to i don't want to do it i don't want to <laughs> you can't make me buy them but i have to if i want to be viable in legacy if you actually want to play legacy yeah <laughs> i mean sad which i'm i'm thinking about going to a legacy iq tomorrow oh, cool. which it depends on i'm going to be taking mono green stompy cuz it's the cheapest deck I could build. <laughs> hey, if it works, it works. That's all that matters. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sending you the list now, and it's it's 10 land mono green stompy. Ooh. Okay. With um four land grant. So. Oh wow. Oh wow. It it can it can definitely win against some of the more meta yeah. decks. Like I'm I'm able to pretty I mean not pretty much easily but. I've been able to win against Merfolk a bunch of okay. times in it. Um, but that was my older version where I had about 14 lands. But th- this one I took out four of the lands and added in Giant Growth and Mutagenic mm-hmm. Growth. And I took out... Oh, God, what did I take out? There was something else I took out. I don't remember. But... um. Yeah, it's it's definitely a very fast deck. It looks and, it. And it can be pretty nasty. Nettle Sentinel was a new addition, which I didn't think Nettle Sentinel would be good at first, but since all, I'm mono green, he's always going to untap. Yeah, no, it, it seems like that would be a fine addition, and it's a, it's aggressive enough that, I mean, it seems to slot in perfectly here. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that at all. This looks sweet, man. Yeah, I mean, if I do go tomorrow, it's not going to be that great, but eh, I, it, it'll be my first time really playing Legacy, not online. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's an experience getting to play Legacy live in in uh, in a more competitive scene in Comp Ariel. I mean, it's a uh, it's fun. It, it is a lot of fun. I, you'll have a blast. I guarantee you that. No matter how you do, you'll have a blast. It's just it's great fun. Oh, yeah, I'll get to see all the all the decks where it's like, ooh, your deck costs, you know, more yeah, than my house. Deck, awesome. <laughs> your deck is worth three of my car. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, it's, a, it's terrifying. <laughs> it, it would almost make me feel bad, but then it kind of, then again, it make me feel good. Like, oh, at least I have a car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, oh man. Well, I should probably uh, call it here because I need to get a little bit of rest. But uh, it's yeah. been a real blast, man, getting to talk more magic with you. And I'll I'll happily do it anytime that you want. Oh, yeah. And any shout outs you want to do before we uh, go? Just uh, real quick, I'll do another shameless plug for uh, for the anime. Shame away. <laughs> for the Animeathon, my show, please go check us out on iTunes and at our website, uh, theanimeathon.com. Uh, you can find all of the relevant information there on the website as far as uh, episodes and ways to contact us regarding that. Um, you can uh, shoot me a follow on Twitter at Alec the Dirtle for any of my musings and ragings and, and anything else that comes up <laughs> during my day and, and when I stream because I've started streaming again too. So um, 
definitely go ahead and, and give that a check out. But, uh, and if I, I, I mean, I'm going to plug something that I've discovered that I really enjoy and that's your other show, by the way, VCR gaming. I've, Oh, I like thank that you. show a lot, man. And, and people need to, uh, people need to get on that because that's a, that's a f- sweet, fun show. Yeah, ju- just to give you a little, um, did you listen to the latest episode? No, not yet. I haven't. Uh, I haven't had a chance to just yet. Well, so j- just to give you a little. It not really spoiling anything, but you know how we give each other challenges, yeah, and all that. So he, so my friend Matt. Well, we're the Super Matt Bros. Right. So it's he challenged me because I hate stealth video games. I just fucking abhor them. <laughs> I hate them so bad. I'm so bad at them. So he challenged me to Tenchu um, Stealth Assassin on PlayStation oh, 1. Jesus. That I had to beat the second level in under six minutes and get the rank of Ninja. So I'd never played this game before. And last night, I decided to attempt the challenge. And he got so fucking mad at me because I obliterated it. Oh, you're kidding me! I obliterated it. And um, if you want to hear more, you got to hear it on the, the podcast. And he... He was so mad at me because <laughs> he knows I, I'm so bad at stealth games, but I just, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to have to listen to that because that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But um, all right, man. Well, thanks for the little shameless plug. And, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to more anime. Awesome. Well, we're going to keep pumping them out. <laughs> all right, awesome. All right, dude. Have yourself a good night. And, uh, hey, good luck at the tournament tomorrow. Let me know how you do if you do go. All right, thanks, man. I'll let you know. Peace out. All right, bye.